Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mass Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by Jaren. What is up, guys? It is draft day 2023. Um, the uh, the seal is has came off. The Mavericks are ready to make their 10th overall selection today or trade it or, or do whatever with it. Um, it has been the day that we've been anticipating uh, for, for weeks on end now and that we've been doing all these draft profiles for. How are you feeling? How is the anticipation get, uh, getting to you on draft day, Jaron? Yeah, you know, I think I definitely felt a lot of it yesterday uh, with the whole Grant Williams news coming out. Definitely that whole KP saga throughout the uh, end of the day sort of entailing and you know, seeing all the details come out about that. Uh, I think it only builds a little bit more anticipation for what's going to happen today. I think, you know, maybe... Uh, maybe while we're doing this pod, you know, uh, not a Mavericks trade per se, but there could be some trades fired off um, at the beginning of the day. And, you know, I, I think that the Mavericks are probably likely waiting till draft day, but definitely last night, I think uh, definitely set up for an exciting day uh, and an exciting day in Dallas news uh, regarding basketball, especially with the whole Grant Williams stuff. I know we'll get into that a little bit more, but that, it, definitely excited. Yeah, there's a lot of rumors going on, uh, going on. You know, just really over the past 48 to 72 hours that have kind of been circulating. Uh, there's a lot of smoke this time of year. So I would advise anybody that's consuming any rumors to, you know, of course, take them with a grain of salt, even if they're from heavily credentialed media reporters, because this time of year, you just don't know exactly what's going to happen and until it does, essentially. Um, but today we are going to be getting into the draft profile for Cam Whitmore. Uh, we were expecting to be done uh, basically completely with our draft profiles. We are going to go over some other guys in this podcast that the Mavericks could select or, you know, may, may be in the range uh, to trade back for. Uh, but those are going to be more uh, sort of tentative, um, you know, projections. And we're, we're not going to go too heavily in depth into each player. They're, they're not really as much profiles for, as, as much as we're kind of just going to be uh, talking about every player on the surface level, you know, mentioning a few a few different names. Uh, we'll be talking about different trade scenarios the Mavericks could, could divulge into, um, and you know we'll we'll be also talking about um, just the importance of you know nailing draft night and um, you know some other miscellaneous things. So it, it'll be a bit of a longer podcast here uh, before we um, are you know able to get everything done. But you know we're 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 poised to uh, live stream later today uh, up on our YouTube. And, uh, you know, we're ready to give you guys a, a good preview of the draft here, of course. And, um, you know, with some of the, you know, news that was sort of sprinkling out the other day in regards to Cam Whitmore potentially falling to pick number 10, you know, we we thought that we might as well include him in our coverage, even though we hadn't or, uh, originally penciled him in, um, you know, just because he is a you know top tier prospect. And, you know, even the thought of him, you know, slipping to the Mavericks would um would definitely bode very well for them so um we wanted to do our due diligence in that aspect and you know get the rest of this um you know draft preview out as well but before we do that here's an ad from our sponsor spotify for podcasters all right jaren so getting into it here i think 
really since the Mavericks accrued that number 10th overall pick and uh, they they went team tank brigade there late in the regular season um, and the lottery, of course, you know, came into fruition for them on on May 16th or whatever it was. And, you know, they, they didn't move up because they have never done that in franchise history. That would um, that's, just, that's just too good of odds to uh, for, for them to benefit from. But they were at least able to keep their pick. And I think that uh, the probably the most uh, centripetal uh, sort of drawing point uh, in terms of what people uh, are thinking that they're going to do with this pick is is likely trade it. You know, probably an overarching maybe seventy five to eighty percent chance that that they'll probably trade it. Um, we're hearing some rumors circulate actually uh, on Twitter as of maybe like fifteen minutes ago that you know per Yahoo Sports, I, I don't know exactly who reported it, but. The Mavericks are likely only going to keep their pick if Hendricks or Whitmore is available at 10. So uh, I don't know you know, how valid that is or what exactly they'll do. We'll just have to see exactly what happens. But um, what do you think of the validity of the Mavericks trading their pick? Do you think that that's the most likely scenario? And what are uh, probably the benefits and negatives of, uh, you know, in terms of the aspect of trading the pick? Yeah, you know, I think that that's probably the outcome that's likely going to happen is the Mavericks do end up trading back uh, or trading their pick as a whole. You know, we, we probably won't know until tonight, as I said earlier. But, um, you know, if Hendricks or if Cam Whitmore are available at that 10 spot, I could likely see the Mavericks staying or at least, you know, being hesitant of trading that pick. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think, you know, definitely the benefits of trading the pick, you know, you get more assets in the process. At least that's what the Mavericks will try and try to be doing. Um, you know, rumors are there have been a lot of callers there have been a lot of suitors uh, that have been calling up the Mavericks trying to get that 10th pick. Um, I know Toronto was one um, more recently, like yesterday, um, you know, and I, I know a number of other teams. Atlanta has been a big one. Uh, there's been some other teams that have been calling. And, you know, I think it's definitely tradable, uh, if that makes sense. And, you know, in the sense that, you know, basically everyone is calling. Um, you know, I think that the Mavericks are likely probably going to trade back. I, I don't think that they're tr looking to trade the pick as a whole, unless if, you know, someone like uh, someone, I guess, notable is available. I, I really don't think they're, they're probably viewing the pick to trade it entirely. Um, I think that they're probably looking to stay in this draft in some way, shape or form. I know that, you know, Utah was brought up uh, with the 16th or 28th pick or even both, um, which if the Mavericks got into that, those sort of sweepstakes, that would be tremendous. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that the benefits are definitely uh, immense if the Mavericks do trade back. Um, that way, you know, they could possibly get some draft compensation in the process um, and also also stay in this draft. And probably, um, you know, I think that they're probably looking to stay in that sort of 15, 15 to 20 area. I think that if they really do want Derek Lively, I think he'll probably be available or more available in that area. Um, and I, I, you know, I think that that, as we mentioned in the draft profile of his, uh, it will help out the team a lot. Uh, but yeah, you know, as far as trades go, I, th I do think that the Mavericks are probably looking to trade back. And unless if Cam Whitmore or Taylor Hendricks are available, I think that they're probably, uh, maybe not guaranteed. Uh, because you know we don't know anything come draft night. But uh, I would you know so far think that it's pretty much guaranteed that that pick will get traded at some point. Yeah, I mean the prospect of trading back to get lively is interesting because. Um, Kevin Gray Jr. on uh, of 105.3, the uh, the fan, he actually talked to um, somebody within the team, uh, the Mavericks organization, that is, and supposedly uh, they didn't sound uh, like the organization was too keen on Lively. I mean, they 
did talk about, you know, his athletic toolbox and his ability to develop, but they, they were also quick to point out that he needs to add some size. So, you know, could this whole lively situation and, you know, the Mavericks, you know, pretty triumphant need for a big man uh, be a sort of smoke screen uh, to, to override that they may not select him if they trade back. I mean, I, I think that that's definitely a possibility with some of the things that are circulating in the rumor mill over the last 24 hours. But I, I mean, he's such a position of need um, and the Mavericks, you know, are always pulling, you know, the, those war room antics as well as, you know, just the order of operations this time of year is to, uh, you know, talk to agents, uh, you know, talk to reporters and, you know, try to get different things circulating. So, you know, you can change perception and value of certain guys between different people. So it, it's a, you know, totally weird sort of diluted construct, but um, it is, you know, how, you know, hectic and how chaotic the NBA draft day can get. So um, it'll be very interesting to see exactly what happens in that regard. What's interesting, I think, about all of this, especially with the Cam Whitmore and Taylor Hendricks uh, report by Yahoo, is that I think the value of the 10th pick fluctuates a lot, um, sort of in real time as the draft is happening. Um, if Grady Dick is the best available prospect at number 10, then the pick's going to hold a lot less value, in my opinion, than if, you know, one of the big dogs like Hendricks, Whitmore, you know, heck, maybe even like Anthony Black or somebody like that, you know, Ozer Thompson, you know, one of those guys that's projected to go top eight type top nine. Um, I wouldn't say that it's a guarantee they're going to drop, but, you know, it, it's definitely maybe at least higher than a 50 percent chance. Uh, just based on draft history that we see some sort of um, shift from, you know, the uh, the sort of mean or you know, all the mock drafts up there. Um, we could definitely see um, the order of the draft start to deviate from what um, we thought it was going to be. And, you know, you see that kind of outside the top three or five in any draft just kind of depend on how deep that top tier is in this year's class. I think that, you know, there's essentially three number one picks there with Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson, and Victor, you know, of course, you know, you can, the, the fine tunes and sort of intricacies between them are obviously what separate them. And, you know, Victor's obviously just in a, you know, whole other category of, you know, potential that kind of overrides him above those guys. But in terms of how, you know, talented they all are individually and, you know, what they did for their respected squads last year, there's really not too much variance in between them. Um, you know, the only thing that separates them so heavily is obviously like their developmental track. So um, gauging, you know, what exactly Taylor Hendricks um, and, and Cam Whitmore's value, even if they were to drop is, is going to be interesting ploy for the Mavericks, because um, if, if those guys were to hold a lot more stake or a lot more value, then I mean, maybe the Mavericks uh, might kind of, you know, be left with no option, but to trade the pick if, if they're left with an offer that they can't refuse. So you know, I, I do think that this is a sort of different scenario compared to last year where, uh, you know, a sort of late 20s pick uh, like the Mavericks had last year, um, you know, slotted to pick at number 26. Uh, I, I just think that guys in that range are just a little bit more interchangeable, uh, a lot more volatile and, you know, a lot um, harder to hit on than the guys, you know, from 10 on up. And that obviously kind of bodes as to the reason. Um, that I think it's going to be a, you know, fairly a pretty last minute decision here, um, because of, you know, the, the market and how fluctuate, you know, fluctuating it could be, uh, just depending on 
who goes where. Um, and I, I just think that there's a, a lot more volatility uh, within those those top few picks, uh, just in terms of how coveted some of those guys are. So it, it'll be really interesting to see how the order of the draft is sort of um, affects, you know, the order of operations for the Mavericks and uh, how they go about things in regards to, you know, keeping the pick or, or trading back. So that'll be something definitely to uh, closely monitor, but I think trading back is definitely probably uh, sort of the consensus. If you had to pick one uh, trade that they would do in this draft, you know, whether it's just uh, trading forward, trading back, or staying put, not even trading anything, or maybe, you know, flipping the pick to consolidate it into more future first or, you know, seconds, or even, um, you know, trading the pick, you know, with another role player simply for just another salary from another team. I would definitely probably say out of all five of those options that trading uh, back and probably, you know, accruing another role player as well as, you know, moving back and still being able to select you know, at some position in the draft, hopefully in the mid first round, late lottery or, or late for late first round um, seems to be uh, the most, you know, rumored and applicable and, you know, honestly like best option in terms of asset management that they could kind of use, use here. Uh, maybe, you know, the consolidation into getting a ton of more first round picks, kind of like what the Knicks did with the 11th pick last year uh, might work out, but it also kind of seems to be a little bit more of a long-term play on that front. So, and, and kind of a salary clearing move. Um, I, I don't know if the Mavericks are, you know, in a position where, you know, they're wanting to go heavy on free agency this year, um, especially, you know, with the, you know, sort of vertical improvement that they can get from the draft uh, as well as trades. And that honestly being kind of their best outlet to improve without, um, you know, having to cut too many contracts, but it'll be an interesting di- dynamic to uh, to see for sure. Jaron, do you ha- do you have any other thoughts on um, the the possibility of trading back? Do you think it's the most uh, likely scenario? Yeah, you know, I think uh, I, I personally, I do think it is the most likely scenario. It's the most talked about scenario, that's for sure. Um, as far as you know, the the sort of value of the pick or the value of the trade. Um, you know, I know John Collins and that fifteenth pick was sort of thrown around quite a bit over the last few days and pretty much the week leading up to the draft. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a good possibility the Mavericks could be shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, you know, say Grady Duke is the best available. You know, I, I think that nobody's going to want No, 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 not, maybe not nobody, but I think that a lot less callers are going to be calling the Mavericks phone. Um, if Grady Dick is the last, or I guess the best person available. Um, and, and basically my point is, is, you know, the, the, this pick, the 10th pick, it's not out of range for guys like, you know, Ozzie Thompson, uh, of course, Cam, Whit- Cam Whitmore, Taylor Hendricks. It's not out of that range by any means. Um, but there, there is a good chance that those guys could go inside that top nine. And if that's the case, you know, I think that the Mavericks could be having a lot less callers. And, um, you know, the packages that they did receive or the packages that they did, uh, you know, I guess pre-draft uh, have up. And, you know, we're kind of waiting to see and waiting for draft day to pull the trigger on. Uh, they could be shooting themselves shooting themselves on the foot on for not pulling it earlier. But I think um, the Mavericks are probably making the right decision, waiting till draft night. Uh, you know, I, I know that there was a lot of scenarios with previous picks where they traded it probably too early um, and that kind of shot themselves in the foot, too. So I think the Mavericks are honestly doing a good thing, keeping the pick a little bit longer. You know, we'll see. We as technically don't know what it, they, they could end up trading it for the draft still. They could. They could. Yeah, that's what I was about. I was about to say I was like, it's only 11 a.m. So, you know. 
there's a lot to be happening and there's a lot that hasn't happened yet. Um, so, you know, there could be something in the works that we just don't know about yet. Uh, but as of right now, uh, with all the news that's come out, the Mavericks have kept their 10th pick. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, best available, uh, of course, is that Cam Whitmore, Taylor Hendricks. I think the Mavericks have to be a little hesitant in trading the pick. But uh, yeah, basically everything I said is, you know, that I, I, I think that the Mavericks are going to be trading back. Um, you know, basically everything that has come out or has like leaked or rumors or whatever uh, sort of smoke screens that the Mavericks are using, it has been uh, the Mavericks will eventually trade back with this pick. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think uh, that that's probably the most favorable uh, position for them to take right now, but we'll see exactly what they do. Jaron, do you think that there's any chance the Mavericks should possibly trade forward? And, um, you know, do you want to speak to any of the benefits or, or negatives of that? I personally just don't see a guy that they would covet enough uh, with inside this draft. But I mean, we've, you know, heard after drafts, the them, you know, have this sort of a post-draft regret. Um, and there have been like deals in past drafts where they've been rumored uh, to have maybe possibly traded up now, given they were kind of, you know, more in the, the late lottery. And I, I'm strictly kind of speaking of recently, not, you know, going decades on decades of Mavericks draft history, but I mean, I think back to that uh, 2021 draft where the Mavericks, you know, almost pulled the trigger on that deal to uh, get Tyrese Halliburton um, at pick number 13. I can't remember exactly who they would have gave up in the process. It might have been might have been KP. I, I can't remember the exact, uh, you know, ramifications and the exact, um, you know, sort of construct of the deal. But uh, that was obviously something that was in the works. And, you know, that uh, I might have been Donnie Nelson's last draft, if I recall. And um, the Mavericks were, you know, poised to try and trade up because there's a guy that they really wanted. I mean, hey, look, like if Michael Finley or Nico Harrison, you know, are really fancy a guy that we just don't know about and they they haven't leaked it to the media, there's, there's a lot of things that are probably going to happen tonight that the media didn't foresee, you know, not just from a Mavericks perspective, but from from an NBA perspective. Um, you know, that tends to happen in abundance this time of year. So do you think that there's even any possibility that they uh, explore that route or, or do you think that that option is kind of closed off for them? Yeah. You know, I think that the large belief between the, the, the Mavericks community is that they probably won't move up uh, and they're probably very unlikely to move up. I'm going to kind of differ from that opinion. I think that if the Mavericks uh, trade back first, I could see them moving up a little early in the draft. I, I think they're the only possibility they move up is if they get either a late first round pick um, or, you know, if they move up into that sort of um, maybe not late lottery, uh, but kind of mid first round tier, you know, maybe the top 20s, uh, that kind of echelon. I think that they could probably move up maybe one or two more spots. Uh, you know, granted, if they get sort of draft compensation, I think that they could probably turn a late second um, into, you know, possibly moving up later into the draft. Uh, that's the only possibility I see it is if they get draft compensation. I don't see them moving up into the draft uh, freely off of the pick that they got and trading a player in the process. I just don't think that that's probably applicable. Um, but again, you know, as you, we've said a lot of times on this podcast already, you know, you don't know until everything pretty much unfolds. Um, but yeah, you know, I think if the Mavericks do get, uh, I don't really know how this works, but if they do get a 20, 2029 second or a 2027 second, um, I, I could see them trading that pro that pick in the process as of moving up uh, in the draft. If, like I said, if they get a either late first round pick uh, or like in that 20 to 22 range, uh, I think that there's probably a few guys that, you know, you could take in that range, but, you know, trade up, get a little lucky on 
Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think that's probably the only realistic option that the Mavericks have moving up. I don't see them moving up uh, from 10 to say seven or six. I don't see them moving, moving in that range. Um, and yeah, I think that's, you know, probably going to cover that. I, I just don't really see a possibility unless if they get draft compensation, in my opinion. Yeah, I know. I would definitely tend to agree with you. I mean, I, I like what you added there. I didn't even honestly think of the possibility of, you know, making a pre-draft trade in the ensuing hours up to the, to the draft to maybe, you know, move back a little, take back some future first or some future seconds, and then, you know, flip those, um, you know, almost simultaneously or even do a three team, or I don't know exactly how that would work. Um, but then, um, you know, move up from there. I mean, that that's definitely a possibility. Um, I, I don't know, like, if that violates any sort of, you know, officiality in terms of a trade. Yeah, like, I'm not um, sure of that. But I, I'm pretty sure because it's picks and stuff that, you know, these these aren't tangible um, assets. They're not actual players. So, I mean, I th- I think that there's probably credence to that. I, I swear I've seen that happen before. So, yeah, I mean, if, if the Mavericks are in a position to where um, – you know, say that they traded back and got 16, 28, and like two future firsts somehow for, uh, you know, Davis Bertans and pick 10, right? Um, if they somehow I kind of fleece Utah or one of those teams, maybe not fleece, but one of those teams that has so much excess draft capital to expend, you know, they're willing to, you know, really just make that quick phone call and maybe expend a little bit more assets than they have to. Uh, to move up in the draft or, you know, say a guy like Danny Ainge ends up making a play like that, uh, then I could definitely, you know, maybe see the Mavericks, you know, taking those two seconds or some, you know, excess capital to try and, you know, move up and snag a guy in the beginning of the second round or the late, you know, the late first round. But, you know, it, if they did move back in the first place, unless they only had like one pick um, and, and they moved back from like 10 to like 20 something and, you know, they had two seconds that they felt free to expend to move up again. It, it does just seem like, uh, you know, a fairly, you know, arduous process. Uh, it seems like something that uh, is just going to be kind of strenuous and, you know, maybe not worthwhile for them uh, in terms of, you know, the asset management perspective there. So we'll, we'll see how it unfolds, but, you know, maybe it's a, it's a very slim chance that that could happen, but if it were to happen in the, in the sort of way that you, talked about it did Jaron uh then it, it could definitely prove beneficial to them uh obviously you know I think we kind of talked about this uh briefly at the beginning of the pod but in what scenarios Jaron do you do you see the Mavericks just staying put you know not trading the pick or anything saying you know essentially we can pair this young player with Kyrie and Luca and he can come in day one and you know make an immediate impact on our team uh be a cog in the rotation and uh honestly you know probably start because I, I don't see them you know staying put for a guy that wouldn't start um, unless it was just some weird, obscure scenario, um, which I don't really see throughout those, you know, top 10 slots. So uh, what guys do you think the Mavericks would select if they were to stay put? And um, do you think that they would have any sort of post-draft regret if they were to stay put? Yeah, I think that there's probably one, two, uh, maybe three scenarios where they do keep that pick. Uh, One of, you know, Cam Cam Whitmore being available, uh, Taylor Hendricks, and then possibly Osir Thompson. I think that's maybe the other question mark. If he does fall to 10, I think likely he might, you know, he might have moved his name up in the draft. But if he does fall to 10, um, I, you know, likely I could see the Mavericks keeping that pick. Now, as far as, you know, post-draft regret, regret goes, um, I, I really, I, I just don't think that, 
out of those three guys, especially, I don't think that there's a miss. I think maybe the biggest bust potential out of those is either maybe Whitmore or uh, Thompson, but I, I really don't think that you can miss on any of those three guys. Um, maybe, you know, in a year or two from now, whenever we hear about all the deals that, you know, were on the table for the Mavericks, uh, you know, uh, say Clint Capella, a first and a future first or something like that uh, for Davis in that 10th pick, you know, something around the range of that, you know, we could be looking at ourselves if one of those three guys does turn out to be a bust um, and we're like, okay, well, you know, what were we thinking here? You know, but I, I really don't think, you know, as far as post draft night goes, uh, at least, you know, in the the days kind of leading after that, I, I just don't think there's really any chance if they do stay at 10 and select one of those three guys. Um now, I think personally, as a fan base, let's say we we go with Grady Dick at 10 uh, or Derek Lively for, as a matter at 10. I think that there's probably a real shot that uh, the Mavericks, uh, maybe not as a franchise, but really the fan base would be honestly very, very disgruntled. Uh, and, you know, that, in my opinion, would probably be, uh, in my opinion, that's a, a failure on a draft night. Uh, but again, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. And like I said, if one of those three guys is available, uh, that to me is at least warranting um discussion for keeping that 10 pick yeah i definitely think you know if the mavericks were to you know sort of preemptively jump on a guy like grady dick or Derek lively you know guys that are slated to maybe go a little bit more late lottery or in the 20s something like that if, if they're kind of stuck in the wind there you know having had already you know everybody that they sort of coveted with inside that top 10 already uh fizzle out you know between those first nine nine picks or whatever um, and, and they're just stuck in the mud with no trades, you know, it, it could be uh, quite the disadvantage for them. And, you know, I, I think that the fan base would definitely call for the front office said, um, you know, say that they're extremely incompetent. Nobody would like Nico Harrison anymore. Um, and that's not, it, it could potentially be even as in a scenario where it's not even his fault. And that kind of, you know, goes to show how, you know, years of not taking the draft seriously, um, years of, you know, losing in the margins in terms of, you know, your offseason deals on trades and free agency in the Luca era, um, you know, makes some of these, um, you know, situations where you're drafting at, say, the 10th spot, just a little bit more high intense, high intensity, you know, com comparable maybe to some other contenders that are in better situations. Um, you know, if, if all push comes to shove and, you know, all their all their chips are off the board, um, you know, they can at least, you know, be somewhat satisfied with what they come away with, just knowing it's a good talent. Uh, the Mavericks in this instance have to, you know, it, it's paramount that they build a good roster next year, especially if Kyrie's going to come back. And, uh, you know, we, we've talked ad nauseum, of course, since the offseason um, really, you know, kind of kicked off how how paramount this offseason is in terms of, you know, retaining Luka Doncic long term. Um, and, and at least, you know, getting a sort of semblance of a winning culture um, on a year to year basis after, you know, the disappointment that last year was and, um, you know, just being able to to build a contender while he's, you know, still, you know, in his early prime hasn't even entered his actual prime yet. So um, that that's obviously going to be huge for them to to do on draft night. So they, they got to make the right decisions. I'm fairly confident um, in this front office, you know, they've definitely you know made some shakier moves but it's kind of been around the around the margins um they've definitely you know hit on a couple moves of course uh like the Spencer Dinwiddie trade last year you know as well as the Kyrie trade this year uh you know presumably if he stays that you know they obviously hit on it so um obviously Nico is not afraid to push his chips in um he he's a guy that you know he'll he'll be, he'll make the big money moves we'll just have to see what's on the table 
Um, and, and I think that, you know, he, he won't fold under pressure. I can, I can guarantee you that much. Um, now, you know, in terms of, you know, my confidence in him, um, I, I wouldn't say that I'm, you know, the number one Nico fan on the world. And, you know, I'm, I'm ready to already rein in the parade for him on victory Avenue and the Whiskey way. Once we win the championship, uh, here in a couple of years, cause you know, I'm not going to say with certainty, um, that that's going to, you know, come into fruition, you know, but, um, I, I've liked some of the things that he's done and, you know, I would still say that he has to prove himself as the general manager of the Dallas Mavericks to an extent. I, I wouldn't say that he's necessarily won anything, but you know, this essentially kind of makes or breaks his, his time here so far. Um, so if he hits on this, you know, um, we'll, we'll be celebrating, uh, tonight after the, the live stream. And if not, then, you know, we'll, we'll be in a, in quite despair and we'll be, you know, circulating through Twitter forums all night, arguing with people, um, you know, trying to, um, hype up the pick that we didn't want. And, uh, it's just, it's just going to be a grand old time. So the, the funny part is we will be doing that. Probably. Yes, we, 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 we would be doing, yes, we would be doing that if we selected Grady Dick at 10. So, uh, uh, you know, we, we would be doing it, but we would, you know, Jaron and I, you know, we're not a pessimistic, Ma uh, Mavericks podcast, but we are a pessimistic Mavericks odd podcast. Uh, I do think that, you know, when, when things go haywire, um, we definitely try to, um, you know, sort of encapsulate how, how pissed off or, or mad we are, uh, you know, without going too extreme. Um, but you know, we we do get a little bit excited about new additions and things of that nature, uh, even if it is not necessarily the best move. Um, AKA Josh Richardson. So yeah, <laughs> I mean that was that was a good move at the time though. Yeah, like, at the time, at relatively, the time. you know what everybody was thinking. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean we'll we'll definitely. Um, but you know, with all that being said, like yeah, sure, like we'll we'll still hype up the prospect or whatever. But you know, we're not going to be blind to the deficiencies and. You know, if the Mavericks didn't really address something that they needed to address, you know, adding more wing depth um, and, and rim protection or or just getting more than, you know, one player in this draft, whether that's, you know, a player that's already on salary for another team, it's already a veteran or whatever. And, uh, you know, also getting a draft prospect or or they're, you know, able to get one of those um, guys that we talked about that were, you know, worthwhile in terms of staying put Um you know, we'll definitely we're not going to be blind to the mishaps that they made there, but it's going to be more of, I guess the best way to word it is our our anger would be more directed towards the organization than it would be at the specific player. We would at least try to be hyped for the player before, you know, and give him a chance to prove himself before we we started dissing him because, you know, we we are community assist uh, leader awards just like Dwight Powell. Exactly. We're, exactly. we're very we're very kind individuals at the end of the day. No, exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, that's probably a given. I think that's a given that uh, no matter who's selected or what trades do occur, I think the, that we at the mainstream Mavs media will be uh, hyping that pick or hyping that trade up and uh, we'll definitely be, you know, throwing whoever that player is on a totem. Um, unless if, say, it's, uh, I got to think about who possibly, but. I don't know. Grady Dick's going to be hard for me, man. Not Yeah, I was, about to, I was about to say, I was like, probably yeah, Grady Dick. Like I, I start, you know, really thinking about it. And I, I definitely, you know, love the player, uh, but just from a position of need, you know, aspect that, that would probably be like the, that would probably be the whiff of the draft if they just, you know, stayed put and selected Grady Dick, because I mean, I, I just think that that doesn't really address enough of their issues. You know, they're coming out of draft night 
having only got Grady Dick, you know, as an addition to their team and then going into free agency, you know, only, you know, with the 2027 first round pick and then, you know, whatever other assets in terms of like Tim Hardaway, Josh Green, Jaden Hardy, Davis, all that. That's, you know, really all they have at that point. So, you know, they're they're pushing all their chips in for, uh, you know, a movement shooter that has questionable defense. I don't know. That, that one's going to be a little harder. Everyone else, you know, um, I, I can at least, you know, try to see the upside play. Um, but you know, if it's not with inside that top nine, um, it is definitely going to be a little bit more a stre- of a stretch and, you know, we, we won't be blind to the, to the organizational malpractice in that instance. So, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll of course monitor it accordingly, but, you know, hopefully it doesn't get to that point. Um, Jaron, sort of an interesting scenario that I could, uh, potentially see happening that, you know, has, you know, drawn some fan interest really over kind of the last 24 hours is the, you know, the prospect of consolidating this first into a bunch of future firsts, like kind of like what the Knicks did last year um, with that Ujman Jang pick or whatever it was where, you know, they, I think they were picking 11th and then they, they traded him to the uh, Thunder um, and, you know, they moved back a couple spots, but then also got, I believe some future first um, for some yeah. other years. Um, so I, I just was curious to see, um your you know what what your sort of sentiment was on that um would you think that that would be a favorable scenario of course they could still also you know get a player back get contracts back if they were to do that or they could just trade the pick straight up you know that's obviously dependent on what they would do um but but you would you be keen to that situation obviously you know the more draft capital i think um the less you know the lesser of a sort of asset in terms of a role player that you might be getting back um, but you know, then you, you can expend that, you know, other capital, um, and, you know, either during the draft later on or, you know, later in the off season. So what are your opinions on that? Yeah, I've honestly, you know, if I'm being honest, I haven't given that a, a sort of scenario much thought. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, opposed to it by any means. Uh, I think what, you know, New York did definitely, uh, at the time looked like a very, very questionable move. But, you know, in hind, or in a grand scheme of things, you know, look where they are a year from now. They're definitely a, a higher sort of mark above the Mavericks. Um, so that's why, you know, I think it, I think that there's got to be scenarios that are put in place where the Mavericks, you know, are maybe not forced to do that. But, uh, I, you know, say Cam Whitmore, Taylor Hendricks uh, and Thompson is taken off the board. Uh, you're stuck with that 10 pick. You trade back to 15 or 16 or say. Um, you know, if you're really keen on Derek Lively, let's say he's taken off the board, um, the blue Kuala Qual- uh, or however you say his name, uh, like all of these guys that, you know, you previously were kind of rumored to be in your sort of market uh, or you're interested in, say they get taken off. Uh, you know, I say, why not? Uh, why not take the sort of, I-, I guess, biting the bullet sort of scenario where, you know, you're like, OK, well, we might not take any sort of. Uh, additions today uh but you know future additions because you get future draft capital uh is definitely in play you know we saw i guess how much uh over this last trade deadline how much sort of draft capital means in the nba now uh with you know how many seconds were being flying off the board how many firsts were going off the board uh i don't think it's a bad thing to load up on a handful of first round picks you know we we pretty much outside of this one only have one uh, i think it's at 2027 first so you know it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to load up on some first round picks, not saying that they will. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm not totally opposed to that. I think that that definitely will benefit them in the future and not saying, you know, if or when Luca leaves that that'll benefit them most. But um, you know, if Luca does decide to stay, I think, you know, you could use these picks come trade deadline 
uh, to get someone notable or improve your team, uh, whatever the margins are, uh, whatever your holes are, like those are certain sort of assets you can use to improve your team dramatically, uh, at least from what we saw in last trade deadline. But yeah, no, I mean, I could definitely see uh, the Mavericks, you know, being able to do that for future implications, you know, in terms of being able to have some more increased flexibility to to deal that pick, um, but as well as, uh, you know, doing it in a sort of a salary shedding move uh, to where, you know, if they, if they do diagnose that there's, you know, not really any guys that, you know, are worthwhile once they trade back or something like that, you know, they, they accumulate all those future first and cut some contracts in the process, um, you know, just depending on who they trade with, you know, whether it's like Utah or Detroit, maybe, you know, some team, some teams that could absorb some salary um, and kind of do what the Knicks did last last year um, where they're able to, uh, you know, make a big play in free agency. So I think that that's also going to be on the table for them as well. If that, you know, if that option ends up coming into fruition, but I, I definitely think that that option obviously has a lot more moving parts that have to hit. So I don't know if they'll necessarily have the luxury to do that just kind of based on the position uh, that they're in the pressure that they have, you know, with Kyrie hopefully coming back, you know, at least as, in terms of what all signs point towards, um, you know, him being, uh, having, you know, kind of just crossed 30 and, you know, essentially going to ride out the rest of his sort of late prime here if he is to stay um, and, and hop on a contract here. I mean, uh, who knows exactly what the, the details of that would look like, but um, that that seems like it would probably be the case if he stayed. Uh, and, and, you know, of course, in terms of the implications of Luca staying long term, um, you know, you, you have to look at that if you are deciding if that's going to be a scenario that, um, you know, would be favorable. Um, but look, I mean, if they if they do have, say, somebody in mind already beforehand, which obviously they do, um, you know, just given how NBA front offices operate, um, if, if but, you know, in terms of how much they potentially like favor a potential free agent, I think would would dictate if they're willing to, you know, you know, move hell or high water to to, you know, clear some salary here at the draft. And I think we'll see some other teams do it. I'll be curious if, the, if it's the direction the Mavericks go in. I, I don't think it's. Uh, probably their best course of action in terms of improvement this offseason, uh, you know, comparatively to just trading and uh, obviously working through the draft. Uh, but it definitely is a, a play if, if they, you know, maybe have a surefire guy that they know is going to sign with the Mavericks on July 1st uh, that, you know, we just obviously don't know yet about because of tampering rules. Then, I mean, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, I think the rumors will definitely start circulating, um, you know, the second that they clear any sort of salary or do any sort of move like that, what could happen uh, come free agency. So that's definitely um, an intriguing possibility, but I wouldn't say it's a, you know, too, too plausible or too um, highly likely of a possibility. Um, you know, lastly, in terms of, you know, trades that the Mavericks could make before we get into sort of the, uh, you know, rumors that have circulated over the last uh, week or, you know, few days um, that we'll kind of cover and go through and, you know, talk about which ones we, um like or your dislike and you know so on and so forth etc jaron what do you think um about the mavericks trading the pick um you know strictly for another player um or you know potentially putting the pick in tandem you know well they'd have to if they were doing this but you know obviously putting the pick in tandem you know with another aggregate salary on their team like a tim hardaway jr or a davis and just swapping it straight up for another role player. Um, how how favorable of a, of a situation would that be for you, for the Mavericks, in your opinion? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not too, too opposed to that. I, I think, you know, just trading the pick in general, um, you know, I'm not going to be the most optimistic about, depending on the player who they get. I, I just don't think that 
you know, this 10th pick, you're not going to trade for an OG Ananobi. You're not going to trade for the the sort of like higher echelon of role players. Um, you're, you're not just going to get those guys with just one 10 overall pick. That's why, you know, I don't think that the Mavericks are kind of looking to that. Unless um, they add, you know, some of the young assets in there as well, which. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like if they attach a Josh Green or a Jane Hardy, perhaps, you know, maybe they could uh, swing someone of that echelon. It, there's a possibility of that. I just don't, you know, I'm not too keen on that personally. Uh, I'd rather take some draft compensation in the process back, um, you know, in the process of hopefully trading back. Uh, but that way you can, uh, you know, you can select a younger guy uh, and you get a, a, add possibly two or more guys on that roster. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that sort of all in move um, definitely, you know, isn't something that they should do. And unless it's, you know, a surefire guy that's going, you know, it's a sort of no brainer, like, it, you know, maybe like a Miles Turner, but, you know, they're not expending. Uh, really any assets except maybe like Davis and somebody else in the 10th pick. So, I mean, there's a certain scenarios where that would be applicable, but overall, I think that there are better options. I would have to agree with you. Um, but, you know, next up, uh, just talking about, you know, some of the the rumors that have sort of circulated um, really over the maybe course of the last 72 hours, but, you know, really even at large, like the last week or two, um, there, there's been, you know, some pretty intriguing things from a Mavericks perspective. Um, you know, some deals potentially with the, the Hawks, some rumors, you know, surrounding Utah, uh, some surrounding, you know, Grant Williams, um, the Maverick Center rotation. Um, we haven't really heard anything, uh, you know, too definitive yet. Nothing that I that probably, you know, left us walking away thinking that's exactly what the Mavericks are going to do. But there are definitely some uh, interesting options on the table for them um, that have been, you know, rumored but you know pretty heavily credentialed reporters here so we'll go ahead and cover them uh real quick and you know just kind of hash out our thoughts on them um first up obviously is going to be that mavericks and hawks rumor i think that that's uh definitely been the uh the focal point out of all these rumors um definitely has been spun around in the uh sort of nba news media conglomerate the most uh between talking heads um as of right now the uh, current sort of rumor um, and, and sort of construct of the deal kind of just circulates around the Mavericks sending Davis Bertans and the the 10th pick to the Hawks um, and the Hawks uh, presumably sending John Collins um, in 15 or Clint Capella in 15 or, you know, DeAndre Hunter in 15 or possibly a combination of the two. Um, and then the Mavericks potentially add more salary to the deal in that instance, of course. Um, but there seems to, you know, have been some sort of disconnect here um, with the Mavericks wanting Capella in 15, um, but the Hawks wanting to give them Collins in 15. And um, that essentially kind of has been the reason as to why that deal didn't um, really come into fruition as of yet. Who knows if they're, the two sides are able to negotiate or, you know, talk further upon that. Jaron, do you think that that's like a surefire sort of no-brainer deal uh, that the Mavericks should do if if the Hawks uh, were to, uh, you know, feature Clint Capella's inclusion in that deal? Um, or do you think that, you know, regardless, it's almost uh, a no-brainer? Um, what are your what are your thoughts on the deal? Are, are the Mavericks playing with their food here by not um, taking that deal from Atlanta? Yeah, you know, I think that, you know, you can make an argument for both sort of sides. Um, I do know as of this morning, because I feel like those talks, 
uh, especially as far as like media goes, it hasn't really been talked about over the last sort of 20, uh, last four to 40, sort of 48 hours, Jesus. Um, but I do know that as of this morning, you know, they didn't resurface, but uh, they were sort of considering the opportunity. Um, but yeah, as far as those sort of talks go, I think as far as, especially that Collins decision, I think that, you know, you, you definitely have to weigh your decisions there. Um, there's a lot, a lot more risk, I guess, involved in that take. Um, yes, you know, you're, you're kind of upgrading from John Collins to Davis Bertans, um, or rather uh, the other way around. Um, I, I think I honestly, I, I mean, yes, Bertans leaves. Um, but I feel like, you know, given Bertans spot in the rotation last year, it's more of your upgrading from Christian Wood to John Collins. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. That's, I guess what you're more so looking at. And I know that we've had a Twitter discussion about this. Um, look, I think if, you know, you get that 15 pick, let's say you do make that trade, you get that 15 pick. If Derek Lively is available um, and healthy and the Mavericks, you know, maybe him saying, uh, or maybe them being a little, I guess, just like two-sided about the whole sort of workout and everything, you know, if that is not true, uh, I say you take him at 15 and, you know, you have a backcourt duo right there, uh, or I guess a frontcourt duo right there. Um, But, you know, I think for sure, if that Capella deal is on the table, I think that you have to pull the trigger on that. I think Clint Capella, and especially adding that 15th pick with who could be available uh, would, you know, basically just immensely improve this team a lot um, offensively and defensively for that matter. But um, as far as right now, I know that the Atlanta Hawks are very hesitant, including uh, Capella in that trade or in that deal. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that those two are are very, uh, at least as of right now with the trades that we've seen, that's probably the most favorable uh, sort of trade back scenario that we have seen so far. Again, you know, we probably haven't seen all the details or, uh, you know, potential other sort of trade options. But as far as the most, I guess, talked about uh, options that the Mavericks have had of trading back, that's been the most sort of uh, maybe not best. Uh, but so far from what we've seen, I think that in my personality and my uh, belief, I think that's probably the best sort of trade that they could make if they're trying to trade back. Yeah, out of the ones that have been rumored so far, that that definitely is the one that seems uh, like it's the leader in the clubhouse um, in terms of uh the favorability of it um you know from a Mavericks perspective not to say that you know there couldn't be better deals on the table there certainly could and there could be you know plenty of other trade back options but uh that one definitely um has been circulating the most I think uh in terms of my assessment with the John Collins thing I'm a little bit more high on him than most I I do think that you know while he is a very very similar sort of archetypal uh player to Christian Wood uh, there there are some different intricacies of their game, which I think separate them a little bit. Uh, John Collins, you know, he came into the league a little bit rougher on, de- on defense, especially, you know, when he shifted more so to playing the four. Um, but, I mean, he he's shown a lot of adaptability in that department. He, you know, he's very quick-footed. He's got good length. Um, and he he's beginning to be able to guard those, those bigger sort of scoring wings um, at, at a decent clip, um, you know, according to a lot of, you know, Hawks. Um, you know, media and things of that nature. So if if he can do that, that that's essentially what we were hoping Christian Wood could do. Um, but, you know, that was only featured, you know, kind of few and far between. He was more so curated to be able to guard those like smaller guards on the perimeter, um, you know, even against like bigger wings. Um, he, he was solid, but I, I just felt like we never really got enough possessions with that happening. Uh, and in the possessions that he did get, you know, he was kind of somewhat able to use his link to trouble those wings, but, you know, he also did take, 
you know, some of that blunt force and kind of got put into the basket stanchion a few times. So, you know, with Collins, he, he's a little bit, um, you know, bigger than Christian Wood. He's, he's definitely not as, as frail. He, he definitely is more aggressive. Uh, I mean, you can look no further than, you know, go watch his highlight tape on YouTube and just see uh, the ferocity of some of the dunks that he throws down. Um, so from a rim running perspective, you know, the ability to stretch the floor on offense, um, it's very intriguing, um, you know, especially if you were to to pair him with another center, he can he can be used out in a sort of he can be used in a sort of five out scenario. Um, now, I, I, I do think that, you know, just in the same vein as, you know, Christian Wood uh, was probably optimized with the sort of three and D center, a guy that can, uh, you know, play rim protector. Um, you know, let Wood or in this instance, you know, John Collins sort of freelance, um, you know, guarding a wing or something like that. Um, you know, maybe not necessarily a point of attack defender, but a guy that can, you know, at least step out on the perimeter or, you know, have to, you know, kind of rotate over as a low man, you know, only help in certain situations. Uh, I do think that that would probably be where John Collins is best optimized. But then conversely, on offense, you know, the the reason that he's kind of having trouble in Atlanta is because the offensive fit with Capella is a little bit clunky. And, you know, you have kind of like two uh, rim runners, you know, on offense. And Collins is obviously, you know, the last couple seasons and in the playoffs and stuff like that kind of been, you know, subjected to being in the corner when they, uh, you know, run that four out offense with uh, Capella as the roller. So, you know, it would be a weird dynamic to balance. Uh, I am very high on Collins. I think if the Mavericks could get a center that could shoot the three and I, you know, I, and, you know, be a solid rim protector. And I, I would be you know ecstatic with that trade. Now, I don't think they're going to find that at pick 15 uh, with Derek Lively. Um, but, you know, if, if you want to bank on the three pointer, you know, at least somewhat coming into fruition this year or, you know, developing later throughout his career and, you know, just kind of see how it goes together offensively. Uh, you know, I say go for it. It's a decent value play. It's not a bad value play at all. I think that you do have a lot more assurance there uh, than you did with Christian Wood with those two guys, even if it is a little bit of a clunky fit offensively. Um, so I, I would be I would be pretty keen to it, even though there are some maybe offensive, um, you know, sort of woes or disruptions that they could run into um, once they, you know, start facing more high intensity games and, you know, teams start uh, scheming and. Uh, trying to, you know, really uh, pinpoint mismatches on that perspective. But um, I, I think in the regular season, they could probably definitely get by with it. If this trade were to be expanded, if the Mavericks were to, you know, include some more salary um, and the Hawks are willing to put in DeAndre Hunter in a deal like this, um, you know, just depending on how who the Mavericks include, how much more of, you know, just a, you know, sort of pristine, uh, bite of the apple uh, would this be for the Mavericks if they were, you know, if DeAndre Hunter, uh, you know, say is now circulating in these same talks. Yeah, I mean, DeAndre, DeAndre Hunter, a, a pretty profound 3 and D wing, a guy, you know, offensively, he can do a lot more than also, especially just shoot the three. He can drive um, and also facilitate a little bit. Um, and defensively, you know, we know what he can do defensively, especially coming into his rookie year. There were some questions there. Um, but you know, he came in and pretty much just made a, a day one impact. Um, I, what he's now entering his fourth year, right? Yeah. Um, I believe he's going to be like 23, maybe let me go ahead and look yeah. it up. You can keep going. Yeah. I think, I, I believe he's 23 or 24 entering his fourth year, um, has had a little bit of injury concerns, but even still, I think with 
you no, know what sort of value? He's twenty five, but oh, he's twenty five. Okay, he well, turned, you know, Don Collins um, is twenty five, so he'd be the same same age. Oh yeah, that'd be the same age. But no, I mean that's still like, I, that's still before his you know his real prime. I'd still say he's exactly. early, he's still in his early prime. He doesn't turn twenty six till midway through the season on you know December second. So he, he, I definitely, you know, he's not as young as I thought, but it's not at a point yet where I'm like, oh, that's an old ass dude, you know. And he's yeah, exactly. And I, I know Will, you're very high on him. You have been very high on him your whole or his whole entire career, rather. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that that not that it would instantly alleviate that sort of perimeter defensive problem, but he would instantly be plugged in, be a day one starter. Uh, probably no question about it, be a day one starter. And, you know, at least that gives you a little bit more depth on that 3D wing. And, you know, personally, I think that you probably still need to get one more wing you can bring off the bench and especially a rim protector. Um, but that definitely alleviates a lot of problems um, rather than if you say, you know, you get Capella, uh, you still have that gaping hole at the wing position. Um, but you do fill in that rim protecting or at least that rim running need, uh, which, you know, if you did get Capella, that's what that would pretty much fill. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think DeAndre Hunter – at least the talks about it are a little bit more promising. Um, I would definitely, I you know, I as far as ranking go, rankings go, I would go number one Capella trade, number two DeAndre Hunter trade, and the number three John Collins. All three are amazing players, um, and you, you can't really rank one above the other. But as far as trade packages go, I would go in that order. Yeah, and uh, I would put any of those packages if they include two of those guys. If the trade were to be expanded, Absolutely. you know, Absolutely. above above really any of those scenarios um dependent on what the mavericks you know of course gave up if the mavericks had to expel you know yet another first like their 2027 first uh to facilitate that trade or they had to you know give up Jaden hardy or josh green i think that that might honestly be a non-starter for me um you know I, i'd be a little bit he- more hesitant to pull the, the the plug on that especially you know you, you're not i guess you're not you know splitting up the asset pool if that at that point if that makes sense you know essentially your whole off season is that trade. And, you know, while you are potentially getting back, you know, two, maybe even three rotation players, starters, you know, I, I just don't know if it's enough, you know, sort of divvying up of moves, enough different moves uh, to, to, you know, be comfortable for, you know, uh, an Atlanta team that did experience a lot of struggles last year. And, not, and of course, not all those struggles are conducive to those guys, but, you know, if you're getting two Hawks in return and then, you know, say like lively at 15, say the trade is like John Collins, DeAndre Hunter, and like lively at 15, you know, sure. You may get three starters out of that, but you know, the Mavericks really need to, you know, capitalize right now at draft time. And I just think that if they make a few other moves where they only get one or two guys, I don't know. I I just think it could pan out better from a roster construction standpoint. Um, Just in terms of the, the fit that uh, could possibly persist, if, if they were to swing a bigger deal like that. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely, you know, it's under the realm of consideration for sure. It's it's very intriguing and, you know, just dependent on what the package is from the Mavericks side um, and, you know, what the Hawks are willing to give up. Um, it's, it's definitely one of the um, better, you know, trades out there in terms of, um, you know, prospecting trades um, that are, you know, being tossed around at the moment for the Mavericks. Yeah, especially I think, you know, especially if DeAndre Hunter or John Collins or Clint Capella were included in a package deal, um, you know, the Mavericks would likely give up that 10 pick. But if they could somehow keep Tim Hardaway Jr. in that process, um, you know, I don't think that he would be the guy facilitated in a Grant Williams signing trade. Um, But if you could also add Grant Williams onto that roster that you you instantly bolster your wing depth, 
you instantly bolster your your rim protection. Um, and not saying that the offseason would be done at that point, acquiring those three guys. Um, but that would look very, very good. And that'd be a very, very good start to the offseason. Um, again, I think that there's still some fringe rotation things that you need to make, maybe another center here and there, um, or bring back Dwight Powell, whatever it is. Uh, there's still moves to be made. Uh, we've mentioned this before. This team is not they're one. They're going to have the um, – uh, they're also um, – just real quick side note. They'll also, I believe, have the uh, taxpayer mid-level um, upcoming. Oh, I they will. I haven't looked at the uh, ramifications of how the um, new CBA affects um, how much that can be. I know that there's some sort of, um, you know, stringent protocol. Uh, upon you know the the new like taxpayer mid-level exceptions and all that sort of stuff so i need to look into better detail on that but i believe they'll have that and you know of course they they always have the ability to cut salary at the draft so um you know i, I definitely don't think that the mavericks are going to expel all their energy on draft night um this is a team that could make up to like three or four moves this offseason with multiple players in every one you know or they could just do maybe like one bigger move but um, you know, I, I would definitely, if I, if I'm a betting man, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that this could be one of the bigger roster overhauls we've seen from the Mavericks and, you know, really in, in, in a decade plus, um, maybe honestly, since the championship team was, um, you know, disbounded and split up. So th this just does seem like one of the, uh, you know, bigger turning points, um, in the Luca era that they'll, they'll need to hit the nail on the head on, um, even if it, they do, over dramatize it a little bit you know like maybe they they make a move or two in the offseason after they've maybe addressed some things to the draft that we maybe have thought was unnecessary but i mean it, it is the time to go all in so you know i, I don't really have too much of uh, you know an issue with that um yeah do you have any other lasting thoughts on the mavericks hawks potential trade yeah, I mean, I was just about to say, I was like this, as you said, this team, you know, is pretty much an all in offseason away. Uh, you know, that necessarily doesn't mean an all in move uh, or one particular move. But I think that this team is um, potentially three or four moves away from being at that ultimate goal of a championship. Um, and of course, keeping Luca and Kyrie happy. I think that that's probably the ultimate goal that this team has. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, the I think that if you were to somehow get, like I said, DeAndre Hunter and, you know, one of Collins or Capella, uh, and then also facilitate that sign and trade with uh, the Celtics and Grant Williams, that would instantly put you, uh, you know, probably one move away from uh, being that championship level roster, assuming you can keep some of the core guys in that process. Yeah, no, uh, I would definitely agree with you on that base, just on the, uh, you know, the players involved in that i mean that you you bolster the wing and your you know rim protection um depth you know to an absolute premium in in those instances so that would be great for the mavericks um what are your thoughts on you know this is this one's been not near as rumored as the hawks one but i've seen a lot of people toss out you know 10 um the 10th pick and you know likely davis for like 16 and 28 and maybe like kelly olenic from utah you know or just you know the pick straight up um, what would be, you know, your interest in that, you know, having the potential to select late in the first round and then, you know, still get a bite at the apple, at you know, a, a late lottery talent, or, you know, maybe a guy that slipped, um, you know, just cause there hasn't been anything reported in terms of, a you know, on the front of who exactly the, the players, you know, that are currently under salary would be involved in a deal like that. Uh, this has kind of just been more rumored from fans and anything, but I have seen a you know, few people toss this out here. Um, you know, if, if we're just talking about the pick straight up, would you do 10 for 16 and 28? 
Yeah, I think I would do 10 for 16 and 28. I think um, not just the, of the possibility of who could be available at both those numbers. Um, but I think that, you know, likely the Mavericks would probably turn one of those picks into either draft compensation or, um, you know, just a player in general. Um, you know, I think that 16 pick, of course, would hold a lot more value than that 28 pick. But, you know, you could definitely do a lot of things with both those picks, whether, like I said, getting a player or taking more draft compensation in the process. Um, I don't think I'd be opposed to that opportunity at all. You know, you're getting two picks for one and, you know, potentially set, uh, shedding a lot of salary in the process. So, again, I think that's a pretty big plus. I don't know if Utah would be, you know, willing to do that. Uh, if Kelly Olenek was included in that trade, maybe they would be more keen on it. Uh, if it, if he wasn't, maybe they, you know, would be more keen on doing that. I'm not really sure. Uh, but I do know at 28, we'll get more into this guy a little bit. Um, but James Naji would be available. He's been a guy that's been tossed around that sort of super late first round, early second round sort of, uh, uh, I guess, spot or selection. And, you know, that's not a guy I'd be opposed to at all. I think that he has some high upside. Uh, and especially for what this team needs, he has some very high upside for um, that sort of rim, uh, not rim protection necessarily, but uh, that sort of five spot that this team needs. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that I personally, I wouldn't be opposed to doing that. You know, you're, like I said, you're getting a lot of draft compensation. Uh, you can turn one of two or even both of those picks into a player uh, or even future sort of uh, draft compensation or assets. Um, and yeah, I think that there's probably a plus. And, you know, if if you are giving up 10 and Davis Bertans for those two first round picks, you're shedding salary, uh, which is something that this team kind of needs to do. So uh, I think it's probably, you know, not a bad process to get involved in if that were to actually accumulate at all. Uh, but yeah, I'm not opposed to that by any means. Yeah, no, if they're shedding salary and getting both picks, I think it's a no brainer. Or if, you know, they're getting a decent role player uh, back from the jazz in that deal. Um, you know, I, I don't know off the top of my head, you know, you know, barring maybe Olenek, you know, I'd have to like look at the roster a little bit more. Um, you know, I I'd definitely do it, but if it's just 10 for 16 and 28 straight up, just the picks, um, I think for me, it would just be conducive to who's available at 10, you know, if Cam Whitmore or, you know, Taylor Hendricks is available at 10, you know, I'm probably not going to be trading that pick. Um, but if, um, you know, it's only really Grady Dick up on the, you know, Jay Billis's best available board, then, um, you know, I'll, I'll probably make that deal. So I, I think it would just be conducive to a variety of factors like that for me. Um, Jaron, are there any other teams, you know, not that you don't have to go into detail. Um, you know, maybe if you want to go ahead and pull up the, um draft uh order selection real quick just so we can kind of survey the landscape um but are, are there any other teams that you know you could potentially see that are having a fire sale uh that the mavericks could you know maybe trade back to to get a role player uh from you know obviously the wizards are, are going full tank mode right now um you know teams that are already tanking like the jazz the the hornets like you know it, it, what what teams could we see the mavericks you know potentially uh, try to trade with to you know take one of their um, role players that they won't be needing next season in, in pursuit of you know modest bazoulas yeah you know I know Houston has kind of been thrown around a little bit with that 20 spot you know I think that they could potentially be suitors uh, Brooklyn holds the 21st and 22nd pick you know I think that if you're Brooklyn you're probably looking to trade one of those picks Um, you know maybe they have some master plan in mind I'm not really sure only thing uh, is Indiana, like they're not fire selling though you know a lot of these teams yeah, well, they're not. Yeah, they're not fire selling. They might be looking to get, you know, marginally better around the, the points or, yeah. you know, picking up young talent. Uh, if, you know, Whitmore, someone's available. Uh, I mean, if you get the right price, like I said, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to any of these sort of packages. 
Um, you know, Toronto holds the 13th pick. I know that they've, uh, I think there's been more sort of fan sort of rumors, but it, their name has been thrown around uh, potential trade back opportunities with the Mavericks. I mean, outside of that, they could be uh, in a, you know, I mean, Toronto could be in a fire cell position just depending they on could the be, they could be depending goes. on, you know, there, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to be happened tonight, but there, there could be a team who shifts their focus entirely. And Toronto could be one of those teams. Uh, I mean, there's maybe not a realistic opportunity, but uh, the, I could be, you know, in a, in a bag of five teams, I could see their, see their name uh, being kind of picked out of those for a fire sale type of team uh, if they wanted to change and pivot directions uh, tonight. So, you know, you never know. Uh, but yeah, that's definitely sort of the teams that I would be looking at outside of that. I mean, maybe Miami at 18, if they're not, you know, if they're just trying to go, if they're wanting a Tim Hardaway or someone, uh, maybe they, you know, are trying to get, if we get 10 and 18 in the process, or I guess keep 10 and we get 18 in the process, uh, maybe them. And outside of that, I, do, I really don't think that there's any sort of second round teams that would be looking to trade up or uh, trade future first round picks. So I think that those are probably the teams that would likely do it. Uh, maybe the Clippers at 30, you know, I'm not really too sure. This is kind of just guessing off the top of our head, but the Miami one actually wouldn't be a two opposed to. I just thought about it. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I really didn't even think about like uh, a contender like that, um, that the Mavericks could, you know, potentially, you know, deal with and not even have to really expel assets. Like, you know, say the, you know, the Heat wanted to do Tim Hardaway Jr. for Duncan Robinson in 18. Um, I mean, and the Mavericks don't even expel the 10 pick. Like I could see something like that to where they could still yeah. keep. Um, so that's a really interesting point you brought up there. That that would honestly be a really cool scenario to happen too. But um, there aren't a lot of sellers right now uh, just in the NBA, but um, that always changes, you know, when, when people start performing bad. So, you know, let's just see uh, what comes out of the draft. Let's see uh, what, you know, sort of course of action some of these teams uh, pick and then maybe you know we can resurface some of these conversations in free agency if nothing comes into fruition uh, tonight once we have kind of a better understanding of the line the landscape uh, a better understanding of who is you know still wanting to contend who is not um, other rumors uh, the Mavs want to change their entire array of centers uh, per Mark Stein that was the exact wording he used you know he said that in his uh, Substack or, or maybe on 97 one the freak with Jessica Wade the other day but it was mentioned somewhere Jaron, um, do you think that that is a little bit of hyperbole? Uh, do you think it's being exaggerated a little that the Mavericks still may keep around one or two of their veteran rosters? Or do you really think the Mavericks uh, might be, you know, just so disgusted by the lack of rim protection and rebounding last year that they're willing to overhaul their entire center, you know, big man rotation? Yeah, you know, I know a little bit off topic, but not really. So uh, Mark Cuban, I guess, as we were recording, went on, hopped on 105.3 The Fan, and pretty much listed, you know, all the not teams needs, but he said the of the utmost importance other than signing Kyrie, of course, is, you know, getting a rim protector. Um, so I think, you know, for Stein to not say, but to report uh, that this team, you know, wants a, a tire or I guess a pretty much a whole new center rotation. You know, I, I'm not surprised by that by any means. I think that they probably keep one or two of those guys. Um, especially like a Dwight Powell. I think that's probably who I'd keep. Most I think JaVale, I think JaVale or Dwight are going to be the ones to stay. I mean, JaVale, he has been um, sort of been increasingly being posted on the team social still. Um, he's still been like working out in Mavericks clothes. Like um, surprisingly, I mean, it. you know, I, I wouldn't I'd definitely not rule out the fact that he he's going to get shipped off at all. But, um, you know, I, I just don't know how much value is his contracts holding. That's, you know, hence why 
I, I honestly think that, you know, there's a chance that, you know, he, he might be the one that ends up sticking it out. Um, you know, if I had to go rant, obviously Christian Wood's gone, you know, he's, you know, the first out the door in terms of the big man rotation. Uh, next, I mean, the next guy that holds the most weight in terms of a trade is probably going to be Maxi. So yeah, I don't know exactly, you know, we, we kind of talked about in his player profile that I think we kind of said it was probably maybe a six or, you know, a five in terms of, you know, the, the chance of, you know, his, his stability rating and the chance that he's going to come back to Dallas. Uh, we put it kind of right around that 50, 60% neighborhood. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't be like surprised if, if he got traded tonight and it by any means. Um, yeah, but I also, I also like, don't think he's the, you know, first Maverick off the board, but, and then, you know, of course, Davis Bertans, you know, technically, you know, pseudo big man, you know, he's six ten, um, but he doesn't really have any big man properties other than the, you know, occasional backdoor cut for, um, you know, a, a missed reverse dunk or something like that. So, um, you know, um, barring that, um, I, I think that that's kind of um, what you're kind of looking at um, as far as that department goes um, with the whole, you know, you know, wording of the entire array of centers. I, I just don't see them, you know, having that drastic of an overhaul because they would literally like be replacing like everybody. Um, but, you know, maybe they could um that would be you know quite the scene but it would be interesting you know, it'd be a lot of training camp guys trying uh pining out for that four spot i'm sure um and then um you know but in regards to that mark cuban quote though that you you just brought up on the pod um uh we weren't really planning on talking about it but is it concerning for you whatsoever um that you know the primary uh you know focal point for the Mavericks in terms of, you know, improvement is rim protection, or do you think that they should be a little bit more concentrated on the perimeter defense? I mean, I, I guess they're splitting hairs in, ter- in terms of importance because, you know, I'm sure they still can understand that they need wing defense. At least I'd hope that they do. Um, but do you think that they should be prioritizing getting, you know, an abundance, you know, you know, more wings and maybe just one or two bigs or, you know, like three or four bigs and one or two wings, like, you know, it could possibly appear that that could be the case in this instance. Yeah, you know, I think the uh, like I think the thought process behind that isn't necessarily from a roster building perspective. I think it's uh, more so from a, a fan happiness perspective. I mean, that's kind of the reason why he goes on there. Uh, but I mean, what's been the biggest team need uh, for the last three seasons has been rim protection. I think that he's just probably you know pretty much going on there, uh, sort of addressing. Uh, that, you know, we, we understand, uh, and this is probably the biggest need uh, from, I guess, just like a roster building perspective. You know, you look on the board, at least you have Reggie Bullock. I mean, he's a, a, a I mean, he would be listed as a plus defender, uh, you know, that you can make arguments there. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, of course, he's going to come say run protection. I think run protection uh, and wing protection and wing defense kind of go hand in hand. You know, they're very, very, very high needs uh, for this roster. But um, as far as the direction of the Mavericks are taking, you know, it kind of seems like they're, they're wanting the center. I mean, they were pining for Capella, uh, you know, Cuban just went on and said that a few minutes ago. Um, I mean, it kind of seems like, you know, they're, they're trying to strive for that center first, uh, before they address the wing needs, but it, it is promising though, that the Grant Williams stuff does have like real traction. Uh, but outside of that, you know, I, and maybe I guess Taylor Hendricks, but outside of that, I really haven't heard any wing sort of rumors or anything like that, but I, I do, th- I, I feel like they should know as a team that uh, the wing and perimeter defense, for a matter of fact, is just uh, probably uh, maybe not a higher echelon, but of the same echelon as rim protection. No. Yeah. I mean, I personally put it, you know, slightly above it, but 
you know, like I said, so long as they still prioritize both, you know, fairly equally, I'm not, uh, it's not, you know, going to be a topic that's going to draw too much of my, um, you know, interest or uh, discontent. But if, you know, they, they do go out and get like four centers and get like one wing, then, you know, we will definitely apply criticism where it's needed at that point. Um, but hopefully they don't do that. You know, lastly, Grant Williams obviously has been rumored, um, you know, to be, you know, tossed around, you know, in, in talks with the Mavericks, um, not really anything definitive, you know, in terms of how the deal would look was really talked about, but he was just sort of heavily rumored over the, you know, last 48 hours to be a Maverick, you know, he is a restricted free agent, you know, coming off his rookie deal. Um, so it would have to be a sign and trade or the Mavericks would have to shed salary at the draft and sign him to an offer sheet and hope the Celtics don't match for, you know, 72 hours, whatever it is. So um, how applicable is, you know, him potentially coming to Dallas? And, um, you know, do, do you think that it actually um, has any validity to it? Yeah, absolutely. I think it really honestly does have pretty, pretty high validity to it. As a matter of fact, I think especially with this whole Porzingis deal going down, I think that, you know, that kind of leaves Tim him Cato as Tim reported the, the Grant Williams thing, right? Yeah, I think I believe it was Tim Cato, uh, maybe Jake Fisher. I know he's been reporting a lot. Yeah, the last... he's been reporting. Um, he was the one that actually reported uh, whatever report that we had made earlier today where it was per Yahoo. He was the one that actually made the report. Um, oh, okay. But, yeah, but, uh, you know, I think that there's probably real validity to it. I think that as far as suitors go, you know, and this might be because we're Mavs bias and my Twitter account is mainly Mavs stuff or Mavs rumors. The Mavericks have been like the only team I've seen kind of uh, in talks of, you know, facilitating a sign and trade with Grant Williams involved in it. You know, he's on a smaller contract, so it'd be a little bit hard of working out those numbers. But uh, I mean, if if they want to, if the Celtics want to buy out candidate, you know, maybe give them a Frank Nilakina. Um, I mean, I'm not really sure if they're wanting a, a straight up one for one swap or if they're wanting another asset in that process. I'm not really sure what their sort of asking price is. All I know is that he's the odd man out. Um, and yes, he is a restricted free agent making about two or 3 million a year. Um, and yeah, I mean, outside of that, it's going to be a little bit hard to work around. He's on that rookie deal. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would definitely not be opposed to him at all. You know, he's not, he's not going to have any, you know, eye popping stats by any means. He averaged like eight points or six points last year. Um, but it's the numbers and it's the, uh, the things that he does, uh, I guess in between the margins that, you know, are really beneficial for him having him either come off the bench or even start for a matter of fact, uh, would be huge for this team and huge for this roster building, um, especially from a depth perspective. I think that he's a guy moving forward. You can kind of attach and, you know, he, like I said, he does everything, the the sort of intangibles, he does the small things, right. Uh, he's a high energy guy. Um, you know, a guy that you can go into a playoff series and confidently know that he's going to give you energy. Uh, I mean, that's what he did for Boston all last year, him and Marcus smart. So, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to him at all. Um, and I think that he's just a great culture guy. And we know how, you know, sort of maybe not damaged, but we know how, I guess, off this culture was compared to last year. So I, I'm not opposed to that move at all. Yeah, no, I mean, he, I wouldn't say like covers two holes in one, but I mean, he provides a little bit of, you know, rim protection, of course, or, you know, sort of pseudo rim protection, at least, you know, the ability to guard, you know, a, a bigger guy, guard a little bit up in the low post. Um, as well as, you know, being able to switch onto wings and, you know, even some guards. Uh, so defensively, he's just really dynamic from that aspect. You know, it may be, you know, his inclusion um, on this team would, you know, probably lessen the amount of moves they may have to make, just kind of depending on 
you know, if they got another wing and big man. Um, but uh, I do need to preface that, you know, they can't, they, they can't make a draft night trade for him. You know, uh, yeah. this is, you know, a rumor that's obviously came out of the 72 hour, the last 72 hours. So, you know, we wanted to cover it and stuff, but he is going to be a restricted free agent. So um, the Mavericks are, you know, if they do want to, you know, cash your chips in on him with a sign and trade, it's going to have to be, you know, once free agency starts or, you know, they'll have to sign to that offer, offer sheet after shedding salary. So uh, you won't see him in a Mavericks uniform after the end of the night, but uh, could you potentially see him on, in a Mavericks uniform on July 1st uh, once we've made some of these draft night moves? You know, most definitely. So we'll just monitor that that situation accordingly. Uh, Jaron, next up, you know, there's a lot of guys that the Mavericks could get really – you know, in that late lottery range in the 20s, you know, maybe even the 30s, high 40s. I didn't want to go down as far as to, you know, really stoop past guys that were getting projected past, you know, really 40. Um, but, you know, with the whole prospect of trading back, uh, I did at least want to look into some guys. You know, I, I didn't do full on, you know, draft profiles on them, but I, I went through some guys and, you know, just to, you know, keep a few eyes on uh, for these names. Um, as the draft is about to surface, you know, because the the Mavericks could definitely be in play for a lot of the a lot of these guys, just depending on you know if they trade back, um, and and just you know kind of where they're positioned at. So, uh, you know, first off here, starting with Jaime Jaquez, um, he's sort of a jack of all trades, sort of ultimate utility guy. Was from you know UCLA, played all four years there. Um, really good cutter, really good rebounder for his size. You know, he provides some pretty stout defense. Uh, doesn't have like the most insane wingspan or anything like that. You know, he's not going to get a ton of like deflections coming off ball and all that sort of stuff, but he's always in the right place. And, you know, he, he's got a, you know, he's fairly lengthy and his defense is almost kind of like PJ Tucker. Like, you know, he's just very good, like one-on-one defender. He has good size. He's about 6'6", 225. Um, he, he's able to just, you know, really front guys and stay in front. And, um, you know, the, the offensive game for him is kind of, um, you know, his sort of downfall, he's kind of projected in the late twenties or whatever. Um, but if he can improve his three point shooting throughout the course of his career, he's an interesting prospect to look out for sure. He just doesn't do any one thing extremely well. Um, you know, Leonard Miller is a guy that, um, I'm, I'm really high on, um, he is a uh, sort of, you know, lengthier uh, 6'10 forward. He played for the G League Ignite last year. Um, and, before, you know, for that, he was, you know, with the under 19 or whatever Canadian national team. And, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, could project as like a Pascal Siakam-esque type of player. Um, but, you know, the rawness that a Pascal Siakam had when he came into the league is still there. He's about 6'10 and he has a little bit of a handle. Uh, but he needs to improve the mechanics of his jump shots uh, quite a bit, uh, you know, before we're looking at a guy that can contribute on a night-to-night basis. Um, he he's, he improved a lot in his one year with the Ignite. He got a lot bigger, uh, a lot better, you know, in terms of his rim protection. Um, he, he's a guy that can, you know, if everything pans out, could go one through five at the end of the day. Uh, got a lot better at his rebounding, but the offensive game is just so raw. Uh, that you know you got to kind of look at it uh, fairly gingerly in terms of him but you know he if he's available in that sort of 15 to 20 range um, he he's a guy that I would definitely look to pounce on Uh, Jalen Hood Schifano he's a very surefire prospect very comparable almost to kind of Kobe Bufkin but 
maybe just a little bit better defensively, a little, you know, less dynamic offensively, uh, but he's lengthy about six, six, he would be, uh, you know, he's slated to go like really, you know, in that 10 to 15 range. So the Mavericks, if they're trading back slightly, something like that, you know, he, he is a, you know, self-creator, he is a ball handler, um, but I'm sure he could still, you know, you know, be delegated to the wing a little bit, you know, with Luca and Kyrie. So he's really interesting. He's one of the, you know, higher up guys on this list um, that I'd be looking at. And then you go, you know, you got another guy in uh, Jordan Hawkins last year. He was a sophomore. Um, this guy is, you know, one of the better, just tried and true uh, sort of shooters in the draft. Um, you know, he he's a guard, but, you know, he's, you know, he's got good self-creation. Um, he can shoot off the dribble. Uh, he, he can spot up. Um, and he, he does have some playmaking and defensive upside with him. Um, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, the playmaking and defensive upside is, you know, as consistent as his shot. Those are definitely going to be his swing factors in terms of, you know, be, you know, elevating this prospect, um, you know, really getting him to that, um, echelon of, you know, maybe like a Kobe Buffkin or the guys maybe, you know, that you can kind of debate uh you know kind of between them who's better stuff like that um maybe you know he he's still got to harness that um to to be consistent at an NBA level um you know in in terms of that creation aspect but the flashes that he showed were um were pretty impressive um and and he's definitely like one of the best um spot up and and pull up shooters um in the draft Chris Murray um I, I don't want to say he's a carbon copy of his brother uh, but he does a lot of the same things Keegan Murray does, you know, very high basketball IQ, you know, very savvy cutter, um, very good lengthy defender has got good size on him. Uh, he's a junior last year at Iowa. Of course, the one thing that he lacks that Keegan Murray, his brother on the Kings, um, you know, has, has definitely bested him in is his shooting. He's a fairly average shooter. I believe he shot about 33% on threes last year. Um, so Keegan Murray, you know, is kind of, you know, leaps and bounds ahead of them and and got picked fourth last year because, you know, a consistent three and D prospect uh, that's not one dimensional, but with, with Chris Murray, I think he's viewed a little bit more as this kind of wing scorer um, that, you know, is a decent defender and rebounder, but um, those, you know, attributes may not be able to be exemplified um, on a contender. He may only be able to showcase that, you know, on, you know, if, if he gets picked by uh, a lottery team or, you know, a team that, you know, is, you know, slated to not do near as good next year, you know, going to be back in the lottery. If that's the scenario, you know, he, he could definitely expand upon those, you know, offensive, you know, skills and stuff like that. But in terms of being, you know, a day one ready role player, there there are some uh, questions in terms of how he'd fit that three and D mold. Yeah. So getting into the next guy to be Keontae George. Uh, a DFW grown guy. We actually watched him play in high school uh, at Louisville. Um, so he kind of brings a little bit of more of a scoring upside to the table. Uh, you know, he's got a really crafty sort of finisher, a really crafty creator. Um, you know, he's a guy that can shoot the three ball very, very well. Um, he also has some playmaking upside with the pick and roll offense. He has some some really good footwork. And, you know, you see a lot of him uh, getting to his spots, getting to whether it's a three-point shot, uh, or just, you know, like I said, getting to his spots. Uh, he uses some really crafty footwork and some really crafty dribble moves uh, to get to that spot. He likes to step back. Um, and like I said, I think that he's going to be one of the probably top three shooters, or he probably would be listed as one of the top three shooters in this draft. 
uh, just from a three-point perspective. And I think that, you know, an, as an off-ball guy or as a third sort of creator, uh, this guy would definitely flourish. I'm not saying the Mavericks will take him, but he'd definitely flourish in that sort of role. Um, getting up next, you know, you have Bryce Sinzabal. This is probably one of the more crafty uh, sort of creators in this draft, uh, or I guess creators in terms of offensive production. Uh, a very, very, very talented scorer. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. He probably might be listed as one of the better sort of uh, producers in terms of scoring in this sort of draft. Um, projected as a late lottery, um, a, a late lottery to like probably mid twenties uh, kind of draft pick. You know, you, you go anywhere. But he's, he's been like projected as like as late as like 35, 40 as well. Yeah. Like a lot yeah. of these guys are very interchangeable in the sense that like, there, there, there are some, you know, I think Hawkins, Hood Schifano, and like Keontae George, for instance, they're pretty safe bets to, you know, go in that 10 to 20 range. Um, a lot of these other guys are very volatile in terms of where they where they project, I would say, really anywhere from as high as 15, if somebody wants to take a swing on them, to as low as 40 with, you know, a, a good portion of these guys. Yeah, absolutely. So Bryce Sinsball, like I said, just brings a really, really, really good uh, sort of offensive production. Only thing is, you know, he might take a, a few years to kind of develop that. Uh, the second half of the, or I guess the other side of the ball, uh, defense is at a, a pretty pretty good question. Uh, but getting up next, you have Nick Smith Jr. of Arkansas. Um, he was, I, I think he was a freshman. I think he was 19 years old. Um, he's a really crafty sort of uh, little point guard, um, almost, you know, reminiscent, not not of like Bones Highland, but of his figure of Bones Highland. Uh, and and with that, you know, he had some really big sort of injury concerns, and that's kind of why he sort of dropped off in the draft. I think he was originally a top 10 or top lottery pick um, in this year's draft, but he fell off a little bit just due to injuries, um, had a lot of injuries this past year with Arkansas, but led his team um, to the Sweet 16 and had a very, very strong finish to the season. I think he shot like uh, 48% from three and like 58% from the field over the last like 16 games, had a very strong uh, finish to the season, as I said. Um, but yeah, like I said, injuries and defense are kind of injuries, defense and strength are kind of the only concerns of his. Uh, next, you have Jet Howard. This is a guy he played. His dad is actually Jawan Howard, um, and he played for his dad at Michigan. Um, kind of more of a stretch sort, stretch four, stretch five kind of guy. Uh, bigger frame. Uh, you know, I, I think play style from what I've read, if I'm picking my own comparison, would kind of be like a maxi, where in the sense that he could stretch the floor kind of probably develop a pick and roll offense and also play a little bit of defense. Uh, but definitely the defensive side of the ball is more questionable, uh, but definitely more of a stretch for it. it can nail the three from anywhere. Um, and yeah, really good sort of stretch kind of guy um, in terms of that. Maybe, then, uh, maybe, uh, maybe kind of like if he can develop the defense, I, I do see like a lot of Cam Johnson in him too. He, he is a little bit more mobile than like a maxi, um, but that, you know, that mobility, doesn't really extend to the the defensive side of things. He has a tendency to open up his hips and stuff. So um, I, I would be intrigued to see how he pans out, but um, he, he definitely has that sort of Cam Johnson type of archetype. What uh, what about Noah, Noah Clowney, Jaron? Yeah, no Clowney. I mean, this guy, he has definitely much more, I guess, like boom potential than honestly any of these other guys, maybe Keontae George. Um, he has some really good defensive versati versatility, uh, can guard not necessarily one through five, but probably three through five. Um, he can guard the perimeter a little bit. He can also rim protect. Um, his shot blocking is honestly really elite. I think he played for Alabama. Or he actually did play for Alabama. Um, he's kind of projected into that sort of late set or late first, early second sort of uh, kind of uh, sort of range. Uh, he also has some really good shooting upside. Uh, shot the three ball. 
Uh, not an insane clip. I think he only shot like 28%, but the three-point shots that he did make were really well. Has a consistent flow um, with his mechanics and shot mechanics. Um, so, I, you know, I think that there's definitely potential there. Um, and also his finishing. He's a he's a really good finisher. Uh, he was often the sort of lob threat at Alabama. At Alabama. Um, so, you know, there's some pick and, roll, uh, pick and roll possibilities there. He just needs to put on a little bit of a bigger frame, kind of a smaller figure. Um, I, I think he's like seven foot or six foot 11, somewhere around that range. Uh, but defensive versatility and shot creating, or uh, I guess like shooting is probably his plus. Yeah. Um, next up, Colby Jones Jr. Um, this guy is, you know, about 6'6", six, six, but, um, you know, in the same vein as some of, you know, the the bigger guards in this draft, there's a lot of them. Uh, just kind of like Hood Schifano, um, just kind of like, you know, Kobe Bufkin. This is a guy that, you know, is is fairly dynamic. Um, with the ball in his hands he's not too flashy though um, he um, played at um, I believe Xavier last year and you know he he's a really excellent defender can guard one through three comfortably um, but he's just a very sound basketball player knows how to run a pick and roll really well um, you know if you give him um, you know space or you go under on a screen he's going to make you pay um, you know he's uh, pretty solid at shooting um, he, he needs to get a little bit better at, at four spacing, but um, there are definitely uh, there's definitely some upside here with him. You know, I, this one draft website compared him to DeLon Wright. Um, so, you know, any of those sort of bigger guards, um, you can kind of, you know, pencil them in in terms of the defensive uh, potential and, you know, the ability to, you know, really be dynamic if he's able to off, open up a little bit more. Um, on the offensive side of things, but he is a junior, he's a little bit older. So I think that's why he's, um, you know, slated a little bit behind Hood Schifano and, um, you know, like Kobe Bufkin and Kaysen Wallace and all those, you know, bigger guards as well. Um, Dariq Whitehead, uh, one of the biggest swing guys in the draft, um, just a, you know, pure like six. I mean, I've seen some people listen to like six, eight. Um, he's anywhere between like six, 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 eight, but, you know, he had a pretty limited role at Duke last year. Um, I believe he was dealing with some injuries or something else, but he just didn't get to see the floor a lot. So, He's definitely um, kind of like almost the, uh, you know, maybe to a lesser extent, but kind of like the Michael Porter Jr. from a few years ago because uh, he was pretty coveted coming out of high school. Um, but, you know, he's obviously slipped quite a bit here. Um, but, I mean, this is a guy that, you know, the defensive intangibles, maybe not necessarily all there yet, even though he does have the uh, – he, he does have the athleticism and the length to be really good on that end. Um, but, I mean, he, he does project as like a, a three-level score at like 6'8". Um, so, you know, if, if this guy's, you know, career trajectory were to come into fruition for him in terms of, um, you know, staying on the right path and, um, being able to improve, I mean, this, this could be a really good swing guy if the Mavericks are, you know, deep in that first round around 28, but, um, he, he's definitely not a guarantee and he, he may take some time to hit as a prospect. James Najee, um, probably the second best you know, tried and true center in this draft, in my opinion, you know, I'm not really counting Wim Bamiana because uh, he's just an animal. He's not even a position. Um, but, you know, with, with uh, James Najee here, um, guy that played at Indiana last year, um, I believe that he had um, originally came over to the United States um, from, I believe, Nigeria. He was working with Serge Ibaka a lot, or maybe the Congo. I have to look up the exact country, but Transferred over here, has not been really playing basketball all too long, really only uh, maybe like five or six years. But, I mean, he's he's adapted fairly well. He's became a really good rim runner. 
He's become, you know, an, an, an excellent shot blocker. Um, he's become uh, a really good role man. He's also, you know, became a guy that sets really hard screens and is a pretty dynamic rebounder as well. He's, you know, he's, he sort of encapsulates, you know, the ultimate big man, um, you know, in, in terms of like, you know, the 1990s, um, if we're not looking at like the modernized NBA, he, he doesn't even really have even, even like a semblance of a jump shot. Um, and you know, he, he's been working on some post moves with Serge Ibaka and some stuff, you know, if you've seen any of those like workout videos, but, uh, that's still something, you know, he still needs, you know, needs to continue to improve on and add to his game. Um, but, um, in terms of like doing the things that the Mavericks just really need him to, in terms of, you know, setting screens, uh, being a good rim protector, being able to rotate over, um, you know, from the weak side, you know, as well, as well as, you know, he has the size, he's, uh, he has like a seven, seven wingspan. He's like six eleven. um, you know, solid, like two thirty. He, he has good weight on him. Um, he, he can, you know, he can guard a lot of opposing NBA centers, um, head on, you know, in the post, but those offensive questions are obviously the reason that he's projected as low as he is. Uh, Ryan Rupert's this really, you know, insane athletic wing from France that ended up, you know, finishing out his, uh, sort of jump from, you know, high school to, um, he ended up playing with the New Zealand breakers, um, in the NBL and the Australian league, but, um, really lengthy defensive wing could be like one of the better defensive prospects in this draft. Um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, he has a seven, three wingspan at six, uh, I believe six, five, six, six, um, maybe six, six, seven, but he's, he's in that range and he's a seven, three wingspan. Um, so, I mean, this guy, if everything were to hit on this guy, um, he could be one of the better defenders in the draft. You know, he's, he's dynamic, you know, in transition, but you know, his offense is, uh, you know, far away from, you know, being even, you know, like, you know, NBA, like ready, in my opinion, uh, that it's going to be a huge improvement point. He's kind of almost coming in, uh, like a Rondé Hollis Jefferson. So, you know, if those swing factors can hit for him, he'll, he'll be really good, but I mean, great defender. So it's just going to depend on that sort of, that sort of stuff. Uh, a couple other guys to maybe look out for in terms of um, some guys that, you know, you know, keep an eye on that, you know, are younger, um, but also, you know, have some of that boom potential. Uh, you know, I definitely look towards, a, you know, a, a Gigi Jackson or or maybe a, a Julian Phillips. Um, you know, both have really good physical intangibles, um, just dealt with some stuff during their their freshman year. Uh, in terms of like, you know, just getting on the court and then, you know, their consistency that, you know, has hindered their draft position, but they're really coveted coming out of high school. Um, so, you know, definitely keep a name on those eyes because, you know, while they are on the younger side, um, they could, you know, definitely, you know, Julian Phillips case, he could be a really, really good three and D wing. Uh, Gigi Jackson, um, he, he could be uh, really dynamic in, you know, multiple facets of the game if, if he's able to um, hit his stride, but they're definitely – um, both of those guys, I would say, are, are a little bit ways away. Um, you know, some older guys that I'm keeping a guy an eye on um, that show, you know, uh, a lot of you know, solid projection as th- as three and D wings in this league, and you know, not not even really one dimensional ones either. Um, they're kind of as low as they are in the draft, you know, due to their age. And you know, it's going to be Keontae Johnson from uh, Kansas State. Obviously, had that great. Um, you know, run with them in the, you know, March Madness tournament last year. Um, and uh, Tracy Jackson Davis, um, you know, those are those are two guys to keep an eye on, in my opinion. 
Um, there's a lot of other, you know, I'll kind of just go down the list in terms of some names real quick um, that you guys can may hear getting called on draft night, but I won't go too in-depth into any one of these guys. Um, you know, Maxwell Lewis, uh, Oliver Maxence Prosper, um, you know, could be a really good wing. And Brandon uh, Podzemiski or whatever his name was, um, you know, he, he's projected to go like 25. He's a, you know, pretty sufficient uh, creator. But, um, you know, he's not really exactly what the Mavericks need. Ben Shepard, really, uh, you know, really good movement shooter. Um, you know, Jalen Wilson, um, Andre Jackson, um, you know, both of those guys, you know, project well some decent wings or, you know, slash kind of wing slash guards. Um, City Sissoko, uh, you know, really raw um, sort of prospect from the G League Ignite, um, you know, was was he's uber athletic but he's like six eight but he has a sort of a, a frail frame he, you know he shows a lot of promise but he's got to add some size uh amari baylor you know or not baylor amari bailey decent creator he'll be interesting to see kind of where he goes but not really the mavericks archetype uh, maybe some other guys like julian strother kobe brown i dude, i didn't read up too much on them but you know they're in that sort of range and then uh trustin vucevic um you know vucevic but with a k uh he's a post-scoring center from Serbia, if you've ever heard that one before. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, he, he, by no, you know, make no mistake about it, this guy is not not a Jokic-level um, uh, prospect here. Um, but, um, you know, nor was Jokic when he was picked 41th in, in the draft. So, um, but, th- you know, this guy's decent post-scorer, um, has a decent outside shot as well. Uh, main drawing point for him is just, you know, going to be getting la- more laterally quick on defense. Um, bolstering that side of his game is, is going to be what, you know, uh, is his path to improvement in the NBA. But, you know, um, outside of that, that's that, that's kind of a bulk of the guys that I could see the Mavericks, you know, pining for if they trade back at all. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of those guys probably more so than others, um, but it'll be an interesting dynamic. But there's still a lot of guys, you know, in that 40 maybe late 30 range that I wasn't even able to really get around to just because it's such a big, you know, I, I can't cover everybody in the draft, um, you know, just because this is only a Mavericks podcast, but with the whole prospect of them trading back, you know, I wanted to try to touch base or at least touch surface on as many guys as I could. So, um, you know, barring that, Jaron, uh, we still have the Cam Whitmore profile to get into. If you guys have been listening this far in the podcast, you are a real one. You are a, uh, mainstream Mavs aficionado we really appreciate it you know I know it's the longer one but it's our draft preview and our uh you know Cam Whitmore uh, profile so had to be a bigger episode uh but you know Jaron I've been talking here you know nonstop for like 10 minutes so if you would like to you know alleviate some of the um the load for me and you know start us off with um Cam Whitmore and you know a guy that has obviously been slated to potentially drop to 10 after originally kind of being penciled in that top five a guy that we didn't really really even need you know feel the need to do a profile for because we thought there was no chance he dropped to the Mavericks but you know there's been rumblings recently that Detroit may not like him there because they got Jaden Ivey and Kate already um what are we what are we getting out of Cam Whitmore as a prospect Jaren? Yeah, you know, he's also falling a little bit. The last I heard was due to a little bit of injury concern. Um but yeah I mean you know Cam Whitmore is six seven two hundred thirty pound uh, sort of wing um, you know he has good size good ability uh, as a six foot 11 wingspan and at the top of the draft which will be here in you know a few hours uh, he's 18 years old 
Um, some of the positives, you know, we're just going to kind of run down this real quick. Some of the positives, he's an, a really explosive athlete. Um, one of the things that, you know, I could really tell he might be the best finisher in this draft, uh, finishing through contact, savvy, creative. Uh, I mean, he, he does it all in terms of finishing. Um, he's a really good cutter, a really good driver, um, can come off curl or can come off curl offs, uh, can work the pick and roll really well. He's a really good self creator out of the pick and roll is something that I noticed. Um, and his sort of crossover, a little inconsistent, I think is probably something that he could work on, uh, is, is dribble moves and dribble consistency, but, uh, his crossover is really, really nasty. He caught a lot of guys off beat, uh, with that crossover and he was able to, you know, either catch them leaning a little bit, uh, or just get them a little bit. And he likes his left hand. Uh, so oftentimes he would sort of snake the pick and roll, get to his left side and then, you know, sort of, uh, have a, a nice little push off with that left hand. He's not um, like limited to you know not being a left hand like only. No, 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 not player. at all. He's, he's just, still fine with his right hand. He's a right hand. Yeah, player. absolutely. Yeah, he's just more of a he. He likes his left side. I guess it's probably like a Luca. Um. So yeah, you know he has that. He shot uh sixty four and a half percent at the rim. He wasn't you know he had some monst monster dunks, monster uh, posters, but he wasn't you know the the most I guess efficient driver in that sense. He he liked to sort of touch it off the glass a little bit more. Uh, rather than going within ferocity, uh, within, uh, I guess, just like aggressiveness. So he could work on that a little bit more. I think he has the frame to uh, pretty much bully, not anyone down low, but has the speed and explosiveness to kind of get to wherever he wants to go. Um, so I think if he can get to the rim at a high clip, like it pretty much sky's the limit for him in terms of that. Um, he's really good at absorbing contact. However, though, he didn't draw many fouls. Um, I think at the pro level, that will probably change quite a bit. I think he'll probably get to the foul line quite a bit more. Um, assuming he does make that leap. And I mean, like I said, I think he might be one of the best finishers in, the, in this class. Um, in terms of shooting goes, uh, or in terms of shooting, you know, he's a really high three-point shooter. Um, I believe he shot 38% or 37% from three last year uh, at Villanova. And um, he really likes a step back. Like I said, he's a really good creator. Uh, and also in doing so, he's a really good creator off off the um, off the dribble in terms of shooting. He's also a good, you know, just sort of off ball uh, uh, catch and shoot guy as well. Um, and kind of do it all in terms of shooting. Uh, he kind of lacks a little bit of a mid range shot, so you know you're not going to see him take too many mid range jumpers or many uh, floaters in that direction. Um, kind of has just the the driving ability and shooting ability, but not saying that he can't develop that at all. I think he could definitely be a high a high three level score uh, at the pro level. Uh, but in terms of defense, you know, he's a, a really good defender, kind of uh, the only thing that you you can kind of question was sort of his uh, aggressiveness at times. Uh, granted, he was on a, a little bit of a, like a 500 Villanova team. So, you know, maybe there was some disconnect there, uh, but, you know, understood de defensive schemes, uh, has a really high IQ uh, with the ball, especially. And I think that kind of helps him on defense. You know, he was able to read cuts pretty well. Um, you know, his pick and roll defense, I think, was a little lackluster. Like I said, he just has a, a little bit of a trouble to read. Uh, off of cuts off that, or even the roll man, that's kind of something that I can nitpick. Um, but other than that, you know, he has a really high IQ. Um, he was able to pick guys up and a very good point of attack defender. Um, uh, you know, some of the sort of improvements he can make on that defensive side was uh, screen navigating. He kind of got lost on screens or even off ball screens, caught him uh, way out of the picture of his man. You know, there's oftentimes wide open threes uh, that were kind of conducive to him either just being a little late to the, uh, a little late to the screen uh, or just, you know, not trying to fight over the screen. And that's something that he could definitely work on at the pro level. Um, but, you know, last sort of, I guess, positive. Um, I mean, not really last positive, but he averaged 1.4 or steals per game. Sorry. 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, last sort of positive I can make um, was that he was a very lateral, quick defender and that he is a, a, a very, very high level, talented uh, sort of cutter. He can make pretty much every cut possible, 45s, UCLA's, backdoors, um, whatever it be, you know, he's he's done a really good job at that. And oftentimes whenever you see his highlight video at Villanova, um, you know, whenever he was dunking on someone's head, it was due to a backdoor or 45 cut uh, and just uh, someone finding him. And he's he's very sound at sort of spacing and doing that sort of thing. Um, I don't mean, well, I don't know if you want to do anything, but chime in if you do. Uh, any improvements he does need to make, uh, ball handling was something that just was super inconsistent. Uh, was a little loose, was a little too loose with his dribble. Uh, had 1.7 turnovers, which you know isn't very good, uh, especially at that college level. But he was asked to do a lot at Villanova, and I think that you know whenever he goes, whenever whatever team he does go to, uh, he's not going to be asked to do too much with the ball. Um, you know he could definitely work up into that, but I think that's just going to take him some time. Um, I, you know, I, like I said, and you know wasn't much of a facilitator. Uh, he wasn't much of a playmaker. Only averaged 0.7 assists per game. Uh, but whenever he was finding people, um, it wasn't necessarily forcing the ball inside, but, you know, he liked to kind of do the the sort of shifty, quick passes off cutters. Um, that was kind of his favorite sort of pass to make. Um, and in doing so, you know, he also caused most of his turnovers were due to those sort of, uh, I guess, just like trying to thread the needle passes uh, or bad decisions. You know, something he could definitely work on uh, is definitely passing for, you know, pretty much as a whole. Uh, but, you know, like I said, he is 18 uh, at the time of today's draft. Um, so I think he'll be, I think, uh, 19 the first day of summer league. I think is whenever he turns 19 years old. So uh will be interesting to see. But um, something, you know, you could be a little bit more nitpicky about is just getting his teammates involved. He, he likes to score in the ISO situations, um, almost has tunnel vision a little bit in that scenario. Just likes to, like I said, to score uh, much more of a one-on-one guy. Um and yeah, I mean, outside of his sort of, I guess, just like uh, improvement he needs to make out of the mid range. Uh, I mean, you know, keeping his dribble tighter uh, and, you know, sort of playmaking, you know, he doesn't really have any negatives. I mean, you know, there's definitely going to be more holes uh, once we see his rookie year sort of, I guess, develop. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that those are probably the biggest needs he needs to make uh, this summer going into his rookie year. But like I said, I mean, he's he's a much more well-rounded guy. I just think his health is probably the only concern um his health and maybe availability uh probably the only concern but I think you know at 10 that's a hell of a steal and might be the steal of the draft uh if he is available at that if he is available at that 10 spot yeah I mean I'm not I mean do you know exactly what his injury was uh I'm not sure I just heard around NBA camps and sort of media I'm not sure how even feasible it is it's kind of like unchecked uh Twitter but uh, a lot of people were saying that he could fall to that 10 spot due to a little bit of injury and that Detroit situation that you were talking about. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know exactly what his injury is, but uh, you know, so long as it's not a major injury, I wouldn't be too concerned whatsoever given his age and you know, how quickly he could bounce back from that. I mean, obviously you know, this is like one of the more high profile uh, NBA ready athletes in the draft. I mean, this is a guy that's like six six two thirty. Um, he, he's got a, you know, a man's ready body already. Um, and you know, he's got, you know, insane verticality. Um, you know, he projects very well on both ends. And I think the reason that this guy is so highly touted is because he has so many intangibles that you can't teach and the things that you can teach, you know, he's still young enough to get very, you know, a lot better at that, but I mean, he's already, you know, as to be as savvy as he is, is very impressive. 
Um, you know, you see a lot of guys that have to, you know, sort of, sort of carry the burden for their team. Um, you know, maybe not do some of the ancillary things like, you know, being an effective cutter uh, from that wing position. I mean, he, you know, did everything in that department and more. Um, you know, he's an insane athlete in transition, a great finisher, very savvy, but also absorbs contact, you know, kind of like what Jaron said. Um, you know, he is going to have to open up his bag a little bit more. Um, but I think, you know, with God, sham God, um, and, you know, the shooting coaches in Dallas, uh, that won't be too difficulty, uh, too much of a difficulty for him. I think that the mid-range game, you know, in terms of being a three-level score um, and being like a, dy- a dynamic two-way wing, because um, that's, you know, his, his sort of archetype, um, that that's going to uh, be able to evolve fairly decently. And, you know, I have confidence in that because of how well his shot mechanics looked on his three. Uh, he, he was able to sort of synchronize into that very well. Um, he had a lot of sort of jabs and step backs that he'd throw in, but shooting a lot of off the dribble threes. I mean, these, these weren't just pure catch and shoot spot up shots, which he actually shot 40% on. So, I mean, this guy, you know, the potential is, is through the roof. Uh, the biggest inhibition on his game is definitely the playmaking. I mean, averaging under an assist a game is obviously, you know, fairly concerning. Um, but it's, you know, for a two-way wing, you know, those we've seen a lot of guys over the course of their career be able to develop that. Kawhi didn't have that coming into the league. Paul George didn't have that coming into the league. Now they're, you know, two of the pro, you know, most high-profile two-way wings in the NBA on the same team. Uh, maybe not for much longer, but that, that's besides the point. Uh, so, um. I mean that this is what that guy could become essentially. He this guy could become uh, a Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, you know, type of guy if everything were to hit. You know, maybe uh, a little bit less dynamic than those guys defensively. He's not quite as long or um, you know laterally or not not laterally sound. Not, he definitely is, but he, he's not. You know, he just does. He's not as quite as big as those guys. So I mean, he may not be able to guard up to the effect that they can. Um, but I mean, he can definitely guard through two two through four. Uh, maybe even one through four um, at some stage in his career, depending on how disciplined he becomes defensively. And a lot of his defensive issues just stem from discipline. Um, you know, he's, you know, pretty good closeout defender. He closes out hard, but um, he does have some, you know, he does experience woes in terms of uh, making the right rotation. So he'll get caught up on back screens and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, sometimes, you know, in the sort of same vein as Josh Green, he will overextend himself, uh, get a little undisciplined, um, maybe try to pick a pass off in a passing lane um, that he can't quite get to ends up, you know, overplaying the defender. They get an easy attack off a closeout, um, you know, stuff like that um, is, you know, going to be uh, definitely uh, some coaching points, but you know, all the things are that he can get coached upon are things that are a lot more easier to get coached upon and you know, contrary to the explosive, you know, scoring and athleticism that he, he features one-on-one. I mean, this guy is about, as dynamic as anybody in this draft. Um, if he, you know, if, if he was a surefire playmaker uh, coming into this draft, I, I can say pretty confidently um, he would, you know, probably be the second pick only to win Bamiana in this draft. Yeah, absolutely. And I, think, and, uh... if he, and I think the mid, and if the mid range game sort of evolved too, and he was a true sort of uh, three level score, but, you know, I do have confidence that if he can just add a little bit more to his dribble bag, you know, be able to get to his spots a little bit more, Uh, become more comfortable because he does have the athleticism uh, to, you know, have a very effective dribble bag Um, is very explosive with that first step. Um, You know, if he's just able to get, keep a tighter handle um, and, you know, be able to develop more defensively 
um, in terms of, you know, his discipline and, you know, open up as a playmaker, something that will probably, you know, take the longest out of all those, um, but will probably, you know, be the most beneficial. Uh, this guy could definitely be a multiple time all-star in the league. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So in terms of, in terms of his ceiling, you know, I think that uh, he could probably project as a sort of all-star kind of two-way combo guard uh, or combo wing, I should say. Um, you know, I think that he's probably much more in the line of, um, you know, probably a second guy on a, a championship level team. I think that he can be an all-star creator um, on that sort of roster. And, you know, like I said, you know, or I guess like you said, with the Kawhi Leonard and sort of Paul George, uh, he could definitely work his way up into that level, being those kind of guys, uh, being the number one guy on a championship roster. I think that he could definitely be that kind of guy. Um, but at least right now, I think that, you know, he's kind of a second scorer, third, third creator, uh, kind of guy on a team, probably his first few years in the league. Um, and then, you know, probably works his way up into that at his floor, you know, and this isn't even really much of a floor. This is still a really good rotational player, uh, kind of an off ball sort of wing, um, you know, with his sort of playmaking downside that we've seen, you know, at, at the very worst, you can see him being a non-creator, just guy who's scoring, uh, whether one-on-one or just, you know, uh, I guess just like catch and shoot sort of scenarios, but definitely sort of an off ball two way kind of guard um, who or guard or wing uh, who can, like I said, just doesn't really do a lot, whole lot of creating, but can create for themselves and score kind of like a Malik Bridges almost or, uh, a Malik uh, Beasley almost uh, that honestly, his scoring is very reminiscent of Malik Beasley, in my opinion. Um, really? That's yeah, interesting. It, yeah. I think that yeah, I think they're, they're, they're two like very different, uh, you know, body types, but I mean, um, I I would say you know Malik his, his perimeter scoring I would say oh yeah but yeah no yeah I mean he, they both have you know very like similar like three point shot diets but um you know definitely he's far and away a better finisher than Malik oh for sure yeah yeah, yeah like he, I he's think... not going up like that at all <laughs> no, no especially with with uh Cam Whitmore's six seven frame like he can pretty much uh and that six foot eleven wingspan he can not get over anyone but for that matter but like he can get over a lot of guys especially. I mean, he's 230 pounds. Like, that's – he's good. Uh, he doesn't look too skinny. He doesn't look too big. Like, he's good. Um, I guess just, like, last thing, getting into his role, um, if he were drafted to the Mavericks, which I think if you if he did fall to that 10 spot and the Mavericks hadn't traded their pick yet, um, to me, that that's the one guy you do no debate about. You take him – unless there's some real injury concerns there, maybe, you know, uh, messed up ankle, <clears throat> something that can nag on for the rest of the season. I really don't think that there should I be. I mean, it, it, yeah, I, depending I on the depending on the package, depending on the package. Yeah, if there's if it's still that uh, that sort of John Collins package, I'm taking Cam Whitmore. Um, but you know, someone offers up. I don't know. OJ they, and they, OJ if they whatever. if they throw like if they say, you know, all right, tenth pick for Capella, DeAndre Hunter, fifteen and. Uh, you know, all we have to give up is like tenth pick, um, and like Tim. Ah, that you know, that's that's hard. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would. I would. That'd be hard to sort of, I guess, to pass up on. But yeah, yeah on his role, if he were drafted with that tenth overall pick, uh, instantly, like I said, I think he'd become a starter. Um, you know, not saying you'd make Jane Hardy obsolete because, uh, you know, he'd come off the bench, of course, but he's more of a wing anyways, you know? Yeah, exactly. He'd be more of a wing. I mean, I think it'd be kind of, uh, maybe a little difficult to work in with, uh, Kyrie and Luca, but we've been needing that sort of creator, uh, who can work one-on-one and he'd definitely fill in that role. I mean, he, he can still play as a, you know, prototypical sort of three and D guy if he needs to. I mean, his exactly. spot numbers are great. 
Um, the only reason that his three point shooting even like took a, even a little bit of a hit is just because how much of a load he had to carry. And, you know, he had a fairly high usage rate. So he's taking some tough threes. Um, you know, he's a really good cutter. If you need him to be strictly a three and D wing and just hone in more on his defense, you know, especially for a guy that maybe wasn't able that maybe his lack of concentration and discipline can be attributed to, you know, his offensive burden that he had for that Villanova Wildcats team last year. Um, then, I mean, you know, you're looking at a really good, you know, prospect here. I mean, this guy could come in, um, you know, like worst case scenario, in my opinion. And, you know, I, I don't really denote this to a lot of guys, but he's like one of the few guys that has a very high floor and a very high ceiling. Like I, I genuinely can't see a world in which this guy is a bust. Um, I, I could see him, you know, at the absolute low end, you know, just being a role player, you know, as any guy could, you know, sort of, sort of be, but, uh, I mean, there's there's just a, a lot of sort of star studdedness and a, and he does have a lot, you know, a, as much as we knock, you know, some of, you know, the playmaking aspects and, you know, the the lack of self-creation, um, you know, at, at the at the point of attack and, you know, the ability to get to his spots in the mid range. I mean, he, he is pretty developed for an 18 year old. He doesn't have, you know, he, he doesn't have like a ton of holes in his games. Yes, the holes that he has are you know, fairly blatant, but I, I mean, the intangible, the intangibles for his age and, you know, how his, his physicality and his size are, are off the charts. So, um, you know, this guy instantly becomes, you know, that, you know, surefire, um, you know, non one dimensional three and D wing probably steps in starts day one. Um, and I mean, luckily for him, I mean, you know, he has Luka Doncic and Kyrie on his team, uh, playmaking, I don't think, um, you know, is going to be something that, severely hurts the Mavericks you know his lack of playmaking that is um but I, I I'm sure within spots you know his, his inability to maybe make a swing pass uh off of you know dribble penetration especially when you know NBA defenses maybe start to key in on him more um that's probably you know going to start to get exploited you know if they ever start running any sort of pick and roll actions with him um you know that's going to be something he needs to work on throughout the course of his career but you know I do have lots of confidence it can get better I don't think it's a it's a sort of a finite spectrum, you know, in terms of how limited he is from there. So um, I'm, you know, if this guy's at 10, uh, barring some insane package, um, I would say to uh, to take him for sure, without a doubt. Um, before we go ahead and uh, cap it off, Jaren, did you want to give your your boomer bus rating to Cam Whitmore? And if, for, if there's somehow anybody that's listening to this that hasn't listened to one of our draft profiles before, just go ahead and explain what that is real quick. Yeah, so the boomer bust potential. Honestly, you do a better job of uh, of explaining it, but boomer bust potential one out of ten. Uh, it's ten being the highest, or ten being like um, how volatile. Uh, yeah, how volatile they are. Yeah, so uh, say one, you know, they're surefire, and then ten is like, uh, you know, they could can. hit really high, yeah. but has a high bust. Uh, with Cam Whitmore, I mean, he might be the lowest in my opinion, or one of the lowest, and like he might be like a a two or a three. Uh, just yeah. in the sense that he could, he could, he will hit, or maybe not will hit, but like in my opinion, I think he will hit. And at his very floor, it's still hitting. Um, especially at a ten spot, I think that you're getting a lot for what you're getting. Yeah. No, I mean, if he drops to ten, it's not going to be a situation like last year where, you know, he's a sort of draft and stash in the D League like Johnny Davis was for the Wizards last year. You know, God forbid that. Uh, you know, the sort of top nine ends up panning out how it did last year. And then we're left with a Johnny Davis type of guy because top nine was really good last year. And, 
you know, I mean, Johnny Davis could, you know, still end up, you know, turning things around, but he just saw pretty limited action with the Wizards last year. Um, so, you know, that, that 10 spot has historically sort of scared me. Um, but it, it'll be really interesting to see how, how things pan out. How, how do you feel, Jaron, now that, you know, we've uh, done the whole podcast? Do you feel more optimistic about the draft now that we've been talking here for about two hours, you know, about Cam Whitmore and what the Mavericks are going to be potentially doing? Or does this give you an increased sense of uneasiness? I, I don't know if I'm more optimistic. I don't know if I'm more uneasy, but I, I would definitely say two hours of discussing Mavericks basketball and what they could possibly do has got me hyped uh, for five hours from now. Wow, we're, we're inching closer to it. Uh, I'm I'm actually really, really excited. And doing this podcast honestly got me very, very excited for uh, tonight's endeavors and tonight's activities for uh, uh, an utter failure of what will probably happen. So, yes, that, that is a very accurate descriptor. But uh, we are really excited. We are going to be live streaming everything, hopefully starting around like four or five. We're going to try to get that up for you guys on YouTube. We're going to be blasting it all over Twitter. So um, if you're listening to this in any capacity and you follow our Twitter at Mainstream214, uh, you can get updates in regards to the live stream there, but make sure to check out our YouTube where we will be live streaming. Um, we'll, we'll post a preview and everything like that in our Twitter. So uh, you guys can be plugged in on that, you know, turn on the post notice if you really want to join me and Jaron will be live streaming the whole draft, you know, giving our live reactions, not just to what the Mavericks do, you know, we'll obviously be looking at it from a Mavericks angle um, and, you know, talk, discussing what they can do the entire time. Uh, but we'll be interacting with you guys. If you come in, you know, whatever questions you want us to answer or talk with us, you know, we definitely will. Um, you know, we've never done anything like this, but, you know, we've been planning on trying to do it for a long time. We thought no better way to do it uh, than the ultimate event that is the the NBA draft. So, um, you know, make sure to go check that out. Um, Mainstream Mouse Podcast on YouTube. Like, comment, and subscribe. Um, this video will be posted there on YouTube as well. Comment down below. Um, is Cam Whitmore the, uh, you know, no, you know, we're going to go a little bit of a different one for today, Jaron. Or could Cam Whitmore uh, could Cam Whitmore play tight end in the NFL? There we go. Yeah, there that's we go. the question. That's the YouTube question of the day. Lighthearted on draft day, at, you know, trying to you know increase the uh, the happiness over here in the uh, the podcast studio before, um, you know, the studio. Is, yes, the studio. Uh, we're gonna have the setup on fleek tonight. You guys just watch. But um, what I was gonna say though, gotta increase the happiness and you know the overall just uh sentiment around here when the Mavericks are gonna let us down. Uh, you know, selecting um, Bryce Sensabaugh at 10 tonight. So, you know, everybody uh, just just put on your hard hats and uh, let, let's let's go dig our graves. So because um, we're not going to be want to be on the planet after tonight. Uh, I'm just joking. Bad joke. Um, go ahead and end the podcast now. Um, also, make sure to follow us and give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you get your podcast listening platforms. We appreciate all the feedback you guys give us. Um, even if it's criticism, we definitely would take it into account and try to improve from it. So just make sure to, uh, hit us up there and, uh, turn on those post notes If you want to keep listening to the podcast, we really appreciate you guys listening this far on the podcast draft is tonight. Mainstream Mavs finna pop out on site. Join the live stream. Mainstream Mavs signing out. Bye-bye.